can't believe that you haven't seen it. Love it so much you really gotta stream it. Let me tell you every line right now. I can quote the whole thing since I was 12. Maybe your mom told you no. She said she It's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of movie. It's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of movie. Hey, 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 hey. Welcome to another episode of Movies We Missed. I am your host, Brandon Greenhouse, and this is my lovely co-host, Jane Hedra Hammer. Um, we are, we're coming at you. And before we get into the episode, we just want to take a moment. We get a lot of fan mail, mm. um, some via courier, mm-hmm. um, some via partridge, but it comes in. Um, and we, in, we get a in lot. In a pear tree. For sure. For sure. Very mm-hmm. that. Very that. We get mm-hmm. a lot of fan mail um, asking how to keep tabs on us, how to keep track of what's going on, if we're mm-hmm. open to having GPS systems put in our bodies again. Um, and we're still figuring that out. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. you can find us on all the social medias. Um, you can find us over on uh, Instagram. You can find us uh, over on Face Place at Movies We Missed. <laughs> and you can <laughs> you can even find us tweeting away and mm-hmm. Jane tweaking away um, if it's a weekend <laughs> um, over on uh Twitter at MWM Chat. Um, we recently won uh, the fourth or the fifth uh, Webby Award um, for just the mm-hmm. most um, concise, uh, the most robust uh, mm-hmm. Twitter account on the interwebs, and uh, we're really excited about that. And and it's actually it's a feat because they usually only do that once a year, but and since we're coming up our one year on podcasting, we've won it four or five times and also it's mostly for web series and definitely not twitter accounts but we have what we've broken every glass ceiling above us it's been a fascinating uh it's been a fascinating pivot um Mm -hmm. to see some of the ways in which technology (laughs) is starting to catch up with us what i've been hearing from a lot of people is that Mm. it feels like we've been around for longer than we have because we have got basically our foot on the throats of every other podcaster out there. And I'll say to of people, course. like, you mm-hmm. mean movie podcasts? And they'll say, I mean, sure. They, yeah, movie podcasts, but also podcasts about the news, podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, about mm-hmm. fashion, any of them. They're like, you guys Educational cover Educational podcasts, because what we're doing here is we are learning and teaching. <laughs> that <laughs> like... port. <laughs> that port. Very bad. <laughs> the best of them. Um, we, we like to call ourselves professors um, when the mics are off. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, I do love taking Jane to school. That's for sure. And, uh, <laughs> she deserves it. So um, most of the time, <laughs> Jane, it's good to see you again. It's um, great I see to you're see repping you. your uh, Destiny's Child DC three. You've got on your Survivor camo. I do. I'm wearing a camo sweatshirt. It's a. It's a. It's a surprise that you can see me in this. Um, this is. I'm. I'm surprised to see you in it. <laughs> um, Why do you feel as though I don't have sort of the edge to wear like a camo top? Camouflage for those people who don't know. Yeah, for those people who don't know that camo is an abbreviation for camouflage, we've got a few other things we need to talk about. But You know sure, what, Brandon? There could be people who are listening to this who don't speak English as a first language. And, you know, I'm just trying to... <laughs> he just rolled... Yeah, that's, that's Jane. That's what Jane's concern was. Um... <laughs> of course I am. Course. I welcome all kinds Sure. You were just on the phone with, um, with your schoolmate, right? Hilaria? 
speaking <laughs> of people who, who navigate the English, English language. English is the second language. <laughs> um, no, we have unfortunately lost touch. For those of you who don't know, I did go to high school with Ilaria Baldwin. Let um, him know. Let him know. And <laughs> Queen of the, high... how do you say, cucumber? <laughs> how do you say, mm, cucumber? <laughs> um, just to be clear, uh, she was Hillary in high school and had no accent. Um, you know? I just, I like to say it every chance I get, because it's the most wild thing, I think, to come out of my high school experience. Um, anyways, I wish, I do wish them the best. I hope they're doing well. Um, uh, but, you know, stealing and appropriating a culture. <laughs> you guys can't see Brandon, what Brandon's doing, and I'm not going to say it, because you will cancel him. And I'm saving you, Brandon. <laughs> All she does is a lie. She lies. You can her hear whole, it in his voice, right? Her you whole can thing, Jay's dis, whole thing is wanting to be the lead host on this show. And that's what she's been chomping at for years. And we, it's infuriating to okay, see her so, coming from my legacy. You guys have seen, I don't know if you guys have seen this meme that's been um, popping around. I think Brandon and I have both said it to each other, but it's like, it's something like, I'm so sick of these podcasts of best friends hosting. I want like, um, I want to see a podcast of um, mortal enemies hosting. And I was like, that's almost us. (laughs) I mean, it's close. We really do. We hold each other's feet to the fire. We We are people that I think in the world, we offer grace and kindness to strangers, (laughs) but... If one of us mispronounces a word on here, if somebody says, if somebody says coupon (laughs) instead of coupon, (laughs) prepare to have your throat ripped out. Uh, Coupon? What is, what a, you don't say that, do you? I don't. don't. No, but a lot of people do. A lot. I feel like a lot of people in the South say it, coupon. Yeah, we'll take that one. Yeah, it is. I don't understand it. I I don't either. A lot of people also say February instead of February. What do I say? It's not February. Fe- what do I? That's that's questionable for me. What do I say? Febu- February. February. Yeah, that's February. Correct. All right. Well. Or when people I'll, say, "I'll have an espresso." Yeah, that always bothers me. My wife, number one, um, is always like, "Uh, should we take out the espresso machine?" And I'm like, "Should we take out the divorce papers?" <laughs> <laughs> should we take out that X? <laughs> that person's word. <laughs> yeah. um, I think we should. Uh, now that we've revealed ourselves as elitist cunts. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible bitches. But you uh, guys knew. You knew. We um, we had a fun a fun 50. This was a fun 50, which is a little preview for next year for Jane, her celebration. Um, <laughs> but um, I just, I'm not anywhere near 50 years old. We had, oh my God. Okay. I came in to ask you, have you heard of this show called, what is it? Undercover Underage. Have you heard of it? <gasps> no. What is it? It sounds amazing it's, already. Jane is already frothing at the mouth. Those <laughs> words were all it took for Jane you know, to be on board. That is a snappy title because here, can I, before you tell me what it's about, it's, it's one of two things. Okay. It is, um, a very dark show about, a, like, ex, like to catch a predator style exposing horrible disgusting people who prey on minors which of course i'm all about you know brandon and i used to when we lived across the hall from each other like 10 years ago we used to have tea cap nights stop oh what? okay 
What? You're going to tell the other story. No. Oh, you almost exposed yourself. I'm the one, again, who's going to save you twice on this podcast tonight. (laughs) We used to have tea cap nights or two catch a predator nights where Brandon and Laura would come over to my apartment and we would watch that. Um, Or it's some sort of like, um, I don't know, some sort of like weird parental like busting of their minor children. I don't know what it is. Those are my that's, guesses, but what is? No, that's it? good. That first of all, that's good. What you just named—that sounds super interesting. Like, um, fi- like somehow their parents know they're doing something they shouldn't do because they're underage, and they're like setting up some sort of like MTV Next van or what? What is that show where they used to like watch their parents on a date or something from a van, and they're like setting up their kids to, like trap them? And... I've never seen that show before, but that sounds like something messy we'd watch. Well, it's not a real show. I'm making it up. Oh, okay. So, but the, oh, don't but I mean, trademark. Oh, that that van show where they like watch their parents on a date. I think that is an MTV show. But I'm just saying, like that kind of MTV van loves MTV loves like not not footing the bill for like a set and throwing people into the back of an RV <laughs> with like CCTV cameras and just like <laughs> seeing what happens. Um, Be like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so okay, so what's the show? So this show is it was the first one. You pretty much nailed it. <gasps> I st- here's the thing with certain shows, I feel guilty about watching them without you. That's the thing. Like, I'll start yeah, a show I... and then I'll just stop it because I'll be like, this is only half as fun as it's going to be if mm-hmm. Jane was here. Um, it's this woman named Rue Powell. Um, Ooh, and a little blur. She sounds like a no nonsense bitch. It says Rue Powell, who is a woman on a mission to expose the dangers of and prevent online child sex abuse. With the help of her nonprofit team, she transforms mm-hmm. into underage girls to engage with child predators and protect yes! the most vulnerable. She is. The Jane's by the way, Jane isn't saying yes in support of the predators. That yes no. was in support of the mission of um RuPaul and um I I her, her I crew. honestly think that was an unnecessary clarification, but if you felt oh. the need to do it, I'm I'm on I'm on board and I will support you. Optics haven't been great for you since <laughs> you've been releasing you released Jane literally go on Jane's IG. She put up a photo of her and it's in the it's in the it, it's visually it is akin to like the the marvel like in-game universe where she's in the center she's cast her um her crew of ne'er-do-wells she's got mm. <laughs> uh she's got prince andrew she's got bobby durst um she's got robert blake she's got her girl galane um she's got jean little brother She's got uh, the whole Phil, Phil Spector before he passed away. Phil Spector with the permed out fro. With and the they're wig, all of different Marvel characters. Mm. Um, and That was Jane, such a fun Halloween. And Jane just says, gang gang, <laughs> underneath the photo. And uh, <laughs> I think she should be called to the floor for once. Because I don't want to see Robert Blake wearing like any Thanos accoutrement. I don't think okay. that it's really the moment. Um, well, I am yeah. being sued by Disney. Again? But it's a different matter. It's a different matter. Okay. All right. I'm wondering so, what that's about. Uh, so anyway, this show, by the way. So yeah. we're going to get into the movie. <laughs> this show, this woman, she dresses up like younger. They do filters and stuff, but they also throw her into like, you know, like oversized tie-dye hoodies. And like she puts her hair in those cute like Ariana Grande style like buns. And, like, yes, like and space it's very buns. that. And she does that like. With, like, the tongue sticking out and the peace sign that the kids do. I'm old. Um, and so she, this is her whole thing. And then she talks with, like, these disgust, 
yeah, no, yeah, I feel, yeah, I'll stand behind that. Yeah, disgusting people. I <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's it controversial like, yeah. to call pedophiles disgusting. You go ahead. <laughs> I was like, hold on, no, I, no I'm going to lean into this one. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she really comes for him. Uh, but I started it, and it's like her, and she alters her voice as well. And then it was like the episode started, and it was her and this guy, and her trying not to throw up. And she's like, my parents aren't home. And then he's like, well, we could get together tomorrow. And then she's like, well, let's look into it. And then like the cameras turn off, and she's like. Ugh, it's just so hard to even get through these. Oh my god, so like, disgusting. I, I would like, love to be the host of that show because it feeds on two very specific needs of mine. One, the need to appear as young as possible, and two, <laughs> justice. That's true. I, do, you think that they, do you think they'd be able to make you look young enough to... <laughs> no! <laughs> no, but, you, but hey, Jane... Jane, here's the tea though. Rue is 38 years old and she legit <gasps> looks like a teenager. She's older than me. She's legit. Well, okay. She, oh, she yeah. is older than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's older than you. Um, and uh, but yeah, she looks she looks well, first of all, she looks really young out of you know, out of the whole thing. But like mm-hmm. she just yeah, I was surprised because she did look like a teenager to me, and when she said she was 38, I felt like it was a flex. And I was like, Well, you props to you, mama. Uh, well, let's let's put let's put a pin in that and let's watch that together next time we're together and we can talk about it on the podcast um, later. Down. Update people. So um, this. Oh, I was gonna say. So this week for our special fiftieth episode because we made it to fifty. Shout out, fifty. Uh, shout out, baby. Molly. We see you, Queen. We see you on HBO. Line in those pockets. Get that coin. Um, we, for the Gen Zers, he's talking about Molly Shannon. Who yeah, did I'm a sorry. Character on SNL in the '90s that um, used to jump around in ill-fitting red uh, stretch pants, screaming, "I'm 50, 50 years old." Sorry, please proceed. Absolutely, Sally O'Malley um, mm-hmm. was the name of the character. So. We did, for our 50th episode, we did a double feature. Uh, we did two movies. We did the 1992 uh, les- les- lesbianic, sapphic-adjacent thriller, um, <laughs> Single White Female. <laughs> and we also did the 2022 update, uh, revamp, a Single Black Female. And mm-hmm. uh, we really got into it. We had a lot of fun. We hung out with uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Bridget Fonda and Amber Riley and Raven Goodwin. And um, mm-hmm. we watched the two movies, which actually aren't very much in conversation with each other at all. As in we found out way. through doing the investigation that we did. Through doing the work that we do. Rolling around on the couch, eating popcorn, um, and, you know, other food as well. I, I so should we tell the girlies how we're going to structure this? We're going to do the first movie, Single White Female, mm-hmm. the 1992 movie. It came out first. We're going to cover that first. And then we're going to move on to the remake, which came out this year in the year of our Lord, 2022, um, called Single Black Female. And we originally had thought about a way of like going back and forth between the two. But I think once we watched the movies, we, could, we quickly realized that they were they, – they have the same premise, obviously, but they are – very very lightly in conversation with each other's films so there's mm-hmm. not a lot of room for sort of compare contrast so much there's a couple of things that i think are interesting to, to point out and to talk about but we're gonna just sort of like jane said tackle them as two separate things so i'm gonna start by giving you my first synopsis which is on um single white female um this Give is it to us, girl this is coming so get ready for it everybody <laughs> buckle up Allison Jones is a high-powered 90s businesswoman with a career dedicated to technology. She's happily partnered with impending nuptials just around the corner. 
Allison and fiancé Sam are going to live happily ever after, if they can keep Lisa, his ex-wife, out of their hair. I guess I should have said if we can keep Sam out of his ex-wife Lisa. After Allison overhears some greasy talk between Sam and Lisa, and realizes that she's been two-timed, she calls the whole thing off. Allison is now alone and scared with a big rent-controlled apartment all to herself, so she turns to the grandmother of Facebook, the stepmom of Craigslist, the newspaper. She puts an ad in the paper reading, single white female seeks female roommate, neat and professional. Sounds coded for me as like me, i.e. basic and white. Turns out her neat professional roomie is about to make her life all kinds of messy. When Hetty moves in, life is magical. She briefs Allie on her sketchy history, which features parents who just don't get her, and an identical twin who died at childbirth. The two share all sorts of intimacies. They even adopt a dog together after Hetty buys one and convinces Allie that it was given to her. All is well until Allie and Sam make up and decide to get back together. The writing is on the wall, and Hetty doesn't like what she's reading. She realizes she needs a way to connect with Allie and cement their friendship before she gets back together with Playboy Sam. Figuring out a shared interest like Parcheesi could have been cute, but Hetty doesn't get cute. She gets drop-dead toxic. In light of a shared interest, she goes with a hard pivot. She decides on literally stealing Allie's entire persona, complete with her strawberry blonde mushroom bowl cut and snazzy 1990s attire. It seems overzealous, but harmless enough, until Allie realizes this is just the tip of the iceberg. Hetty wants to be Allie. She wants the rent-controlled apartment and gaslighting boyfriend. She wants to pretend to design software for a living for a lecherous Stephen Toblowski. She wants that stereotypical gay bestie who gives sage advice like, move on the day after you bury your fiancé. That's right, Sam dies. And if you've ever wondered what death by stiletto looks like, ponder no more, baby. This single white female is putting Peter Fonda's baby girl through single white fem hell. Wow. We're done. Yeah. That was beautiful. Thank you. It it really it brought back a lot of emotions from from watching the movie, which was dark as hell. <laughs> Absolutely, which is what you called Terrifying. me when you first met me, I remember. <laughs> um <laughs> So we've got Single White Female. Um, this movie was it premiered on August 14th, 1992. Um, mm. It had a budget of $16 million. But don't worry, BB, because it made $84 million at the box office. So get into Ooh. it. The rest of the world did. Whoa. Yeah, very that. Um, I thought it was really funny. I read that apparently Bridget Fonda, who plays Allie, Allison, our, our lead um, mm -hmm. heroine, she apparently was... Basically, they wanted her for the movie so bad that they were like, you pick what role you want, which is like, that's, that's, and she picked that role. Hmm. Okay. I <laughs> thought the same thing, because I read that too, and I was like, the role of Hetty is such, at least from my perspective, such like a much more interesting yes. role to grapple with and play as an actor, and I've always thought, I mean, I'm not an actor, but I've always thought that playing a villain is so much more fun than playing, you know, the, the straight person. Yeah, and so, I agree. And, and there's so much darkness and weirdness within the character of Hetty slash Ellen that yeah. I just like can't I can't even imagine choosing the other one. Well, I feel like I get what she means when she says the other part is more <laughs> difficult because if you feel like you can tap into like that kind of mania 
in that kind of like it, maybe she felt like she read the script and she instantly got who Hetty was and she okay. read the script and she thought I'm gonna have to do work to figure out who Allison is as a character because it's not all there so there's gonna be a little bit more room for nuance maybe Hetty okay. I, I get that Hetty can feel like obviously it's toothsome but it can also maybe feel like like a role that you get and maybe there's a certain curiosity about the other role or maybe she wrote maybe she read the script and let's be real and thought ooh this one's in more scenes this one's potentially going to be around for a sequel. You never know. Do you, I oh, also? Oh, okay. So our first one of our first digressions of the <clears throat> evening. I also remember reading somewhere that Queen Latifah had a clause put into her contracts that she would never like in movies after set it off that she would not be killed, like that her character could not <gasps> be killed in a movie in case there was like a sequel, which I thought was like really interesting. I wonder how true that is. I wonder how true it is. And I mean, I don't know if like, there's Depending any... on the story, it you know could... what I mean? Well, also, I mean, Queen Latifah famously, you know, in the HBO movie, played Bessie Smith. And like... Right. So clearly, I mean, it maybe it depends on the project. Maybe if she's like, if, I'm, if you're going to have me in the next Fast and the Furious, like, I want right. to know that I got some legs for any... For 15. <laughs> after this one. I want to know. I don't know if there's a movie that she was in that, like, I, I couldn't... Because I was trying to think of a movie that she maybe was in where a character died and then the, like, franchise continued and, like, lots of coin was made or something. But I, I thought mean, that was I just... I honestly don't even think of Latifah as a franchise queen. Like, I don't think I've no. ever seen her in a franchise. And maybe this is why. And this maybe. is why the <laughs> contracts have been augmented. Because she's like, you're not bringing down the house with Eugene Levy and Steve Martin without me, baby. <laughs> So don't even think. <laughs> You're not doing it twice, at least. No, 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 no. I'll be, I'll be right there with both of them. Oh my um, god! But anyway, I, saw, I thought that I was saw that movie in theaters. But me too. It had some moments. <laughs> I went um, with my whole family. Anyways, <laughs> this um, back to single white female. <laughs> but yeah, I love. So the movie starts with this scene. We have uh, in the role of Sam, fiance. We have um, Stephen Weber of Wings fame. Mm. Um, and they are nestled up in bed and they're, they're planning their perfect wedding. And, uh, Stephen, this is his second wedding as we find out. We'll find out that a little bit more about that later. But, um, I mean, he's quickly revealed to be a fuckboy. Within um, like the first 30 <laughs> seconds of this movie. <laughs> so yeah, like, she... You're like, we'll find out about that later in 10 seconds. <laughs> like literally like he gets a phone call from his ex-wife. He doesn't answer the phone, the phone, like the phone call. And you, a lot of you out there may not remember like answering machines. Um, but yeah, they're you know. definitely before some of your time, but an before answering machine, time. you probably have seen in old episodes of, you know, yeah, that's true. Mad about you, mad about you or Seinfeld. Um, uh, answering machines were such a plot device in the nineties. Now yes. it's like, nobody's ever left a fucking voicemail ever it's like no. text messages and everything but um he his ex-wife starts to leave in a message on the answering machine or he picks up the phone and he's talking to her and the answering machine is just recording their conversation and she's like reveals that he like slept with her that afternoon and we're in bed when um ali and um what's the character's name sam Sam have just slept together. So it's like, wow, he had sex with two people in one day. That seems like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> I guess I'm revealing myself, but it's like. <laughs> no, no, I no, I agree with you. No, that's a lot. I mean, that's I mean, you go from and... one sexual situation straight to another. Like, I hope there was a shower in between. Uh, but you never know. You never know. Well, it's, it's also just like. 
it's funny to me, like, watching it, especially the second time, that it's like, why would you even let that go to, like, I would have never let that go to the answering machine. With, oh like, my, my fiancé here knowing that we literally just took a trip to Poundtown, like, a couple hours ago. <laughs> like, there's a very good chance that she's going to try and break up your relationship by mm-hmm. telling the truth. Um, and so it's like, yeah, you really, the fact that he was so comfortable with, he was like, let's just let it go to voicemail. And I was like, does that, that's not really the best look for you if you're trying to cover up these messy tracks that you've left. Um, but you know, Bridget Fonda, he he reveals himself. He basically says that his ex-wife was, you know, she was hurting and, um, I guess his penis was the only thing that could, you know, calm her at the time. Uh, but I was loving (laughs) I thought you were going to say one of my most hated expressions, so I'm glad you didn't go there. Which one? Hurting for a squirt. <laughs> oh my god! I, first of all, that's so specific. Like I didn't you like said she was hurting, and then I was just waiting for you to finish it up, tie up the melody, as they say. I didn't realize, but now I'm making a <laughs> mental note of the fact that Jane hates hurting for a squirt, and, and you. Well, couldn't... who? Like, do you like it? Is that something now you I enjoy do. hearing? <laughs> um, uh, well, I've, uh, as they say, I've fucked myself. <laughs> again. <laughs> I guess we're back in the early aughts. Um, and so we also get a shot. Of, <laughs> we also get this shot of like, we, we discover quickly that they have this phone grate. I'm not, I'm sorry, not a phone grate. They have a, there's a wall grate in her apartment and like her nosy neighbor, who we, okay. Her nosy gay neighbor, who we soon find out is her bestie is listening at the phone grate. Um, Graham, her neighbor is listening at the phone grate as she's having this uh, conversation it's um, an argument. Her, they're yelling at each other. It's yeah. It's they're having a fight about the fact that he cheated on her, and um, but he's on a completely different floor, and he can literally hear their entire conversation through this phone grate, which is it's wild. like it is clear as a bell. <laughs> it's clear. It's clear <laughs> and as, I think about the fact that like so later in the movie, the um, gay nosy neighbor reveals it to Allie that he can sometimes hear them through the grate, and he like. And she's like, well, oh, what can you hear? And he, like, makes a little face like he can clearly hear them having sex. So, like, I just feel like they, like, really did this, this like, gay BFF dirty. They made him seem like a pervert who, like, sits at the vent and, like, listens to this couple fuck each other. <laughs> well, I mean, like... oh, well, I mean, let's have, a, let's have a quick conversation, though. So, we've got, so two characters in the movie. We have, obviously, Graham. He's gay. And then, mm-hmm. as as, like... I feel like they're leaning towards, like, this sort of light lesbian sort of quality that, like, our <laughs> our Hedra character has. Oh, did you feel like you, they were leaning towards it? Or do you think they took a full fucking sapphic leap into each other's vaginas? Because that's feel, how... <laughs> no, you're, no, you're 1,000% correct. It's just funny to me that they have these two characters. And, of course, the two queer characters are, like the two that can't control desires are like psychopaths and are just like (laughs) listening to people's conversations because they have nothing that resembles a life of their own. So they're forced (laughs) to just sort of like exist on the periphery of like this, like storyline that's centered around this messy straight couple where like both of them, like just want to be a part of it and like are frothing at the bit to hear like these two like heteros, like have I'm sure perfectly serviceable sex, but you know, they can't help themselves because they're gay and they are, you know... They're gonna take what they can get. Yeah, they'll take what gonna, they can get. Or they're gonna steal what they can't get. And exactly. they're gonna hurt people until they get it. Which is like, you such know... Such a queer movie not trope. So, such a queer movie trope. And it's 
not so subtly in between the lines where it's like obviously Hetty is like you know and, and they have all these like very sexy moments together Hetty and Allie like absolutely like uh, as a queer women woman who has lived with other women who I'm not sleeping with I've <laughs> never like laid in bed and like held my female friends while essentially while watching a movie unless oh, I was I trying mean, to get laid <laughs> I mean that's not 100% true but <laughs> You know what I mean, though. Like, oh, I haven't left my door and loudly left my door open and uh, masturbated loudly with <laughs> on top of my sheets, fully naked. I'm so. Why am I putting myself in this situation? Because you, because you're broken. <laughs> um, but I just like, I just, I just like, why am I? Why? Why is this about me? It's, it's because well, I mentioned. It's because the word lesbian was mentioned, and you're queen of the lesbians. <laughs> Um, well, also, I can't not make things about me in any situation. And any that's situation. fine. That's fine. <laughs> I signed up for this 15 years ago, and I'm still on the ride. Um, so, yeah, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of moments. One of the key moments, I think, is towards the end of the movie after we've discovered... She shows up with the name Hedra that we quickly find out is fake, as if we needed mm-hmm. to. Um, <laughs> and... Like also, such... in the Roger Ebert review of this movie, he was like, why? Why would they give her a name like like Hedra? And I was like, for the exact reason that you're curious about. She's a white girl who grew up in the suburbs with the name Emily. Like, of course, <laughs> when she reinvented herself, she wanted to be anything. She would be anything her but name, ordinary. So they gave her, her the name wildest name ever. Ellen, not Emily. Sure. <laughs> but, I, I, but I understand what you're Arguably saying. Arguably more boring of a name. Oh, totally. Absolutely. If there are any Ellens listening out there, you're queens and we love you. And um, we love you. But like, I mean, yeah, like she she picked like the, the name that you pick when you're like a when you're a kid who grows up probably reading romance novels or like watching like, I don't know, like adult cartoon comic books. Like it's like you want the full <laughs> fantasy. You don't want to be yeah, you don't want to be Ellen if you can be Hetra. Well, as a person named Jane, which like now I very much am fond of my name, but growing up I was like, my name is so fucking boring. Like, and I would try to like have other people call me different things all the time. And, you know, you just like wanna... what? I don't know. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Anytime but... I call you anything but Jane, you get mad at me. <laughs> because yours are, 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 significantly more insulting than anything I've even I even thought it would be cute to give you a nickname and I called you plain Jane and you got so upset (laughs) well talk about childhood triggers people used to call me plain Jane all the time I mean no no like that sounded really sad I like was not bullied that was fine because if anybody bullied me I bullied back um (laughs) so I wasn't like (laughs) if people were mean to me I just like was equally made fun of them. Did anybody call you lame Jane? Absolutely. But like, Mm. you know, endearingly, I, I didn't, I, I, I'm lucky. I did not get bullied in the same way. Oh, as you can see. Well, you were the bully. It sounds like. (laughs) No, if someone roasts me, like, I don't know. I don't know. My best friend, Brandon, who I have a podcast with, I bully them back tenfold. So, you know, that's why you treat me like garbage. (laughs) 
good. That helped me figure out some stuff. Um, but we've got like, you know, there's a scene towards the end of the movie where, spoiler alert, Hedra reveals herself to be like wild. We, Allie finds, you know, articles and stuff. And we discovered that that sister who died at childbirth actually died at like nine. And it seems like we're dancing around the fact that Hedra probably killed her. Um, yeah, so she drowned, but and there's not com- if I remember correctly, there's not necessarily confirmation that no, she there dr- isn't. She drowned her, but I think she did. But she's run she- away from home, and she's taken on these different personas, though. Like as she's moved through the world, and like she's got at one point, she has our our damsel, our Allison, bound and gagged, and Allison in an attempt to sort of ingratiate herself to Hetty, who at this point believes that Allison wants to get rid of her. Um, she kisses her on the mouth. They have like this sensual like kiss and she mm. says, no, I want to be with you. I don't want to, you know, there are these moments and we see, uh, we see what that does for Hetty. We see the ways that she feels like affirmed and seen in those moments, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that a lot of it is dancing around like this, this, le- this, this trap, the tragedy of lesbianism and like the fact that like she has to have this, you know, this straight woman, you know? And, uh, I just think that it, yeah, those moments are really interesting because that seems to be something that they are hinting around at is like the is like the queerness of queerness and and what that really like means in this world and the and we also we never get to explore well not really anybody but mainly these are two of our main characters we never explore either of these characters outside of their infatuation with sort of like you know orbiting around our nucleus that is Allison their whole world is her and like you know, right. Graham lives and in his apartment, awaiting visits from from Allison. <laughs> we don't see him navigating through the world and like. We have no with idea else. what his job is, but I consume it's like Broadway dancer or like out of work actor. Wait, he does say at one point he's an out of work actor, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he does. Yeah. Ugh, it's so cliche. It's so on the fucking nose. <laughs> yeah, they exist. Yeah, they exist to advance the story of, of Allison. Mm-hmm. And they are e- they both eagerly await her presence in their lives to sort of get to live vicariously through her and hear about her, like, her sexy, her sexy heterosexual life and, and pine, you know, for a world in which they could experience that type of love, you know? But you, yeah. you've got to have, uh, you've got to have a strawberry, a strawberry bowl cut mushroom haircut in order to fulfill fill the to full fantasy that is. Allison, I do think... I'm sorry, Jane. I, I'm just going to say real quick. I do think it's worth pointing out that Jane went on a full journey with this haircut while we watched this movie. <laughs> we started out with... We oh watched this movie together, by the way. Which is the first that, oh, this was our first time this. ever watching. This was our first time. We did not talk a lot during the movies. We took separate notes, but we did we sit actually, and watch this movie that together. Is, that is not true. Oh. We talked... First of all, we, before we started watching the movie, I said, we both said, let's not talk a lot during mm-hmm. the movie. Let's just take notes. Let's watch it together. Brandon had trouble sticking to that in the... <laughs> that is not true. Let me finish. In the first movie. And I was like, he, he was talking and I kept being like, save it, save it. Do you don't remember this? This and is then, a lie. This is not a lie. And then... And then during the second movie, I just said, fuck it. And we just talked about it the whole thing. No, none of this is true. just like <laughs> that, no, there were three. Is... There were three or four times while watching the first movie where we maybe spoke and we both, it was a back and forth and nobody was more guilty than the other, despite the version <laughs> of events she wants to tell you with her messy smear campaign. 
the second movie, Jane was chomping her gum for most of it. And eventually I had to tell her, enough, Jane. This is for the fans. This isn't about you. That second and part did not happen. I asked her to stop talking am, so that we could save it for our listeners. And I'm she, to corroborate she started crying and she pouted part. and she stormed out of the room. And I said, Jane, why are you so selfish of a person? And she said, I don't know. I'm broken. And I said, we don't have time to fix that. But we do need to get through this movie for the people. I'm here for the listeners. Who are you here for? And she said, myself. And I said, I knew it. But to hear you say it, thank you for confirming for me that you're that selfish. And she said, no problem. I'm not a good person. I'm not a good friend. And I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't disagree. Um, and then I remember after that, she said, Brandon, you're so smart. You've put up with me and my nonsense for so long. I feel like I'm I'm running out of chances with you. And I said, you are, but also this is what benevolence looks like. And I swore years ago to your parents that I would look out for you and I would be your friend. And I'm not prepared to give up on you because the world has. And she thanked me and... Uh, <coughs> Then we continue. So I'll, you know what I'll do with this? I will let the listeners decide whose version of events actually took place. It may be somewhere in the middle, but I will say. Well, that's the thing. It's your side. It's my side and the truth. You know what I mean? We were, we were both like. We were, every story. I thought the first movie we did really good. I thought the second we, movie, there was a did. point where we were, we definitely had to check ourselves. But I felt like. But also, let's be real though, guys. Like, imagine watching these movies. <laughs> And like not like the like the amount that we talked versus how much we could have talked. I think what we were doing is we were if we wanted to save this all for the podcast, we were setting ourselves up for failure by watching these movies together. And there's a part of me that knew that because I, I know how you and I are when we watch these kind of movies. Like literally, the reason we started this podcast is we love to talk about movies while we're watching them. Like there's never been a moment where we've like silently enjoyed a movie together and no. it wasn't going to start 15 years in. No. We did good though. So we did, we did, we did good. We did relatively good. And even the things that we talked about, they ended up just like making the notes better. So we're right. Exactly. All, and I'm sure. And out. you know what? We I, uh, I think we all know I've never had a problem repeating myself no absolutely not um and uh i do want to say that the, the reason why i brought up the bowl cut is because when the movie started we both oh, yeah. clocked bridget fonda's amazing bowl cut well first of all we both were like oh my god look at that bowl cut ha 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 how funny and then at some point in the movie i was like that bowl cut's kind of fierce though and then jane was like yeah yeah it is it is actually pretty cute and then it ended with jane being like i want that bowl cut and, and okay. me fully gassing her up and being like, you would look fucking incredible with that haircut. And uh, I stand by it. I, here's, here's how I feel. I feel like that haircut okay. is a commitment. Okay? It is. But we are in a moment right now in time where the 90s are coming back mm -hmm. in a big way. They're back. Mm -hmm. And that haircut is like the epitome of like 90s, like sophisticated. It is very totally. chic. And mm -hmm. it has a certain urbane like quality to it. And mm -hmm. I see Jane rocking it. And Jane is very beautiful. And Jane has a kind of face that she could pull off a haircut like that. Um, and I think that Jane should get a wig. I think that if she got a wig mm -hmm. of it, then it's like you have the bowl cut fantasy when you want it and mm -hmm. you put it on the shelf when you don't. But I feel like it would be worth it to get like a really cute like mushroom bob moment because I mm -hmm. think that it's like it's it's the Demi and Ghost. It's the 
It's the it's, Bridget. It's the Martino. moment, and it's about it's to moment. be the moment. I'm sure it's it's already starting. The waterfall yes. is already you know um, over the T-Boz. crest. Speaking of T-Boz. Exactly. T-Boz yes. is giving China Phillips. Like yes. it's giving all of that. Everything. And frankly, it's so funny to like look back at our journey with this haircut because we both started being like, what an insane look. And then 20 minutes in, it was like we were sort of sheepishly looking at each other being like, is this fucking adorable? <laughs> is, she we serving right now? <laughs> is she serving? Is she serving everything? And the thing is, I think like the reason why, okay, so uh, as famously, I, I have had a lot of different looks with my hair. I've gone short. I've gone long. I've done it all. I'm not afraid to change that up. But I do think I've reached a certain point where, because um, I, I all the time I've cut my hair short and then grown it out, cut my hair short and then grown it out. It's like I can never sort of stay with something um, for too long, which I'm fine with. But the agony of growing out a short haircut yeah. is something that I've done too many times that I just don't yeah. feel like I can put myself through again so I feel like the wig is really the only way to go um, which allows some versatility yeah and flexibility that's why wigs are great like I mean yeah. if you want to have a cute you know a look for a night out that without having to like commit to a year to two years of like your hair mm-hmm. growing out and like waiting for the moment you can put it in a ponytail Mm-hmm. Um, then I think that it's a it's a great like option. And, and wigs so are getting so are getting so good these days. Yes. So I don't know. I might see what's out there. It might be kind of expensive, but you know what? <laughs> I'm worth it. All that to say that Bridget Fonda looks great. We love her hair. She's in this incredible. Movie. And I do want to point out that there are certain scenes towards the end where both of them were wearing wigs because clearly they were doing like some reshoots and stuff had grown out and maybe they were in the awkward grow out phase and they were definitely wearing wigs. Like in the very end scene where they have the showdown in the basement and they're like beating each other up, both wearing wigs for sure. Not great wigs too. No, they were <laughs> like, like, let's just get through this. Were they made today, the wig quality might have been better. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Also, like, towards the beginning of the movie, like, Bridget Fonda, her and Sam break up. So now she's got this apartment. It's rent-controlled, but, like, he's gone. She wants to get a roommate. She goes out for, like, a luncheon with, like, Stephen Toblowski. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny, because watching the movie a second time, I thought to myself, just as an actor, like... Steven Toblowski does really great with Smarm. And I was just thinking, like... Yes. I wonder if, like, Steven Toblowski, like... Like, what did it, like, get calls from your agent? And they're just like, hey, how you doing, Steven? So we've got another call for a lecherous piece of shit. And, of course, <laughs> you came to mind. You were the Never first one do. that popped up. <laughs> you first, baby. So we're going to send over the sides via courier, because it's 1992. And um, we think uh, the part's going to fit like a glove. <laughs> so we're excited. No, he's really disgusting and vile. Um, there mm-hmm. is rape in the movie. We know that you're comfortable with that. So no need to, to wonder there. <laughs> um, he's vile and uh, an appalling, wretched character. And you absolutely you, know, you popped into the noggin. <laughs> it was uh, it was really it came down to you and Patrick Duffy. And uh, he's recently booked step by step, as you know. <laughs> so fingers crossed. Everything works out with him and Miss Summers. But we're going to get you booked and busy, too. Uh, and I just thought, and that he was. You gotta know know thyself, baby, in this business. Know thyself, um, know thy type. You know, absolutely. As um, an actor, that's one of the things you guys gotta do. You know, you gotta let like, him know, Jane. 
Well, I've just know because you're an actor. We have other friends who are actors. So it's like, <clears throat> I have a friend who is an actor. Um, and he lives in New York. And he gets cast almost exclusively as like a like Russian or Eastern European gangster in like every single CBS show I've ever seen. I feel like it's also they see you do something one time and then they're like, just get that person. You just get that but guy. Also, I had I had a class when I was an undergrad. I know that now I know that there are people who listen from all parts of my life, so I don't use names. I had a class when I was an undergrad and we had to sit down with a piece of paper and we had to talk we had to basically go around and talk about art character archetypes and who we thought everybody was. And mm-hmm. you just you first you, you you went through the list and you said like two or three things that you were. And then the and then the class sort of like gave their feedback on the way you perceived yourself. And a I remember there was a, a young lady that I went to, to school with and she had a different perception of herself. And I remember her <laughs> looking at that list. And I remember oh, she said, no. she said like sexy bombshell, like siren. <laughs> um, and everybody was like, mm, we're seeing you more as queen of the frumps. Uh, <laughs> oh, best no. friend, best friend of the main character's best friend. That's what you're getting. <laughs> um, and it was like very like that. Ju- and like she Judy Greer st- energy, who by yeah. the way is one of my favorite actors of all time. I love Judy Greer. Yeah, it was it was it was uh it was rough and uh That is she... an unfortunate moment because there's value in all of those types, but like when you think you're like when you're the 18, of, 19 years old When you think you're the Bridget Fonda and you're really the Jennifer Jason Lee to bring it back, it is it's, it's not uh, it's a come to Jesus moment. It's a moment where it's like, <laughs> look, if you're gonna work these are the parts you'd be going for. Um, <laughs> you're, the, you're, you're on the Toblowski side of the universe. <laughs> right. Um, and speaking of, we move like from like her, she she goes through this montage of roommates. Several of her roommates also are giving off intense like sapphic energy as well. And it's oh my like, God. And 100%. you can see that she is othering them in her mind as well. Like the way that she's sort of dealing with these different types of women also, a really funny thing I observed the second time I watched the movie, one of the roommates who is giving really hardcore 1990s Rosie O'Donnell tees and this biker okay, jacket. Okay, um, I just want to let you know that she is listed on the IMDb page as Manish Applicant. That checks out. Um, that checks She's out. And that's like what I wrote down. She's the woman um, who comes to look at the apartment. And that was what I wrote down the first time that I met Jane before I knew her name when I put her <laughs> number in my cell phone. Manish um, applicant. <laughs> what am I, oh, am I like applying for your friendship? Exactly. Um, but this woman, the first thing she does is she walks up to like the doorframe of the kitchen and she sort of like knocks on the doorframe and she goes, oh, these will come out easy. And it's like, Okay, just so we're clear, this is a rent-controlled apartment, okay? She does not own it. So you're going to be knocking out walls, sis. Okay? This and, like, is not what are you going to do it? Is, I didn't understand that because it's like she knocks on the door frame. What yeah. is she removing? She's saying that she could knock that. She's saying this wall. This isn't a load-bearing oh, wall, wall. So we could I knock see. this wall out and open up the space. But it's Honey, like... Honey, you for, don't own? Nobody does. None of you do. <laughs> So it's just calm down because it's it's a room that's available and there's a bathroom you can use and that's it. Right. So and you and like, your friends aren't going to be rolling through here Peter Gabriel style with sledgehammers, okay? <laughs> so we should we should talk about um, well I'll, let's talk about the the people who come see it. See just a couple. Then there's a there's the other woman who mentions problematically that she's an incest survivor, and then she says, "I have Brandon no recollection I... of it." 
Brandon and I literally <laughs> this was in like the first 15 minutes of the movie we li- <laughs> we literally like slow turned to each other because we were again trying not to talk about the movie and like <laughs> held contact for so long like trying to be like did she really just say casually like her first line in this movie is i'm an incest survivor and it was like <laughs> so wild when you see things i mean just like through a 2022 lens in in 1992 and just like that kind of shit you're just like what what a wild thing to reveal when you're just looking in an apartment also she then says i don't i have no recollection of it but i just have the feeling that i've survived something and it's like (laughs) sure which is like, so problematic. It's a in lot. Many, many ways. And then there's this this roommate who's like this very beautiful, like olive complected woman who's just like leering at Bridget Fonda's character. She's just walking <laughs> around. The, she's dropped dead gorgeous. She's giving like yep. Lisa Bonet teas. So mm-hmm. Zoe Kravitz teas. Um, for you youngsters, <laughs> then it's the same teas. They're both. <laughs> They're both uh... works of art. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, just she... absolutely insanely beautiful people. Yeah, it's rude. At every it's turn. rude, and it's rude for Lenny Kravitz and. And Lisa Bonetta have decided that they were going to procreate to make another absolutely another version creature. of themselves that is talented and insanely beautiful. Like again, I'm sure we've had this conversation before, where it's like those people you just like can't stop staring at because they are so physically beautiful in in a totally like objective way. That's what you are for me, Jane. Bran. And you to me. Thank you. Mm, look at us being nice uh, to each other. Look at us. Look at what we, look at, look at what we do. Look um, at us lying to each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were the truth to me, though. Don't you dare. <laughs> and you were telling the truth to me. I'm an absolute yeah. stunner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, incest survivor. Um, <laughs> but, um, so then we have Jennifer Jason Lee coming in. And she quickly, she's giving us full Mayan Bialik. Uh, you know, oh, Joey Lawrence's moment. little sister fantasy. Uh, <laughs> she is wearing the the hat, the hat with the flower and the sunflower in the front, and uh, combat and boots the, and and the biggest linen dress I've ever seen. The dresses that Jennifer life. Jason Lee, I remember these dresses being very flowy, but I don't remember them being like this billowy. Like these it, dresses are oversized. It's like they want them. It's probably because I bet that the costume designer was like, we want to make sure that she's giving like wayfish childlike she is she's not giving glamazon like bridget fonda we want to make sure that we're not showcasing her body i'm sure jennifer <laughs> jason lee has a lovely body and they were probably like we have to make sure that like we don't she does that we until see later it. in <laughs> later in the movie when like she you know takes on Allie's persona we need her to be like the juxtaposition to who Allie is this like woman who wears these like tailored fitted like power power bitch suits we need her in like as much fabric as she can move in without tripping and falling she she looks like she is on her way to seal a bunch of melons from the that's a perfect doctor for melon sealing (laughs) yeah absolutely I'd wear it and uh, yeah, that's like the whole thing. And then quickly, these two form a bond. You know, Allie's very much still broken from this breakup that she's had. We also get this moment where Allie is in the kitchen. Jane loved this. Um, mm-hmm. Right before this character comes in, right before we meet Hetty, the Jennifer Jason Lee character, Allie's in the kitchen. She looks at her refrigerator. <laughs> There's a photo of Sam, her ex-fiance at this point, who cheated on her. There's a photo of him. It is the craziest photo. We'll put it on the IG. It's, yeah. When we when, when this premieres, we'll put it in our slide that we do for the movie. It's a photo of 
of um, Stephen Weber holding on to what looks like it's like him holding on to a fence. It's like he's it looks like he's climbing up a fence and he was caught like unawares by he, like, like an is unexpected making flash. Eye contact with the camera, like he has been. He, he's he's been caught red-handed. He's running from some sort of authority figure, and she stares at this photo and starts crying, and because she misses him so much. And I doubled over laughing because it's the most wild photo to shoot. Because like, he looks like a roach when you turn on the light at two a.m. to get water, <laughs> and the roach sees you when you see the roach. That's what he looks like. And it's like, why can't we just get one of his wings headshots and throw it up in the I, refrigerator? Like, one hundred percent. I don't understand. In the name of Tony Shalhoub, like there was no reason for this. And uh, this is what sort of cues injured for Jason Lee. The sink's broken. The two of them are trying to turn the sink on. Water gets all over their outfits. They have to change clothes. And this is the bonding moment. And they end up moving in together. And, I mean, there's lots of really, like, sweet moments. Allie, I mean, Hetty, like... so sexually charged. It's crazy. There's a lot of sexually charged moments. Hetty, like, buys a dog and then pretends to have found the dog and brings it in and tries to, like, get Allie to fall in love with this dog, which she quickly does. And then there's moments with the two of them and the dog in bed. And they're, like, doing it's the, the 1990... It's the most sapphic thing I've ever seen. It, it's very that. And they're doing the 1992 version of a selfie with the Polaroid camera. And yes. it's them taking pictures of themselves with the dog. And at one point, Hetty says, ooh, like, let's get a photo of the whole family. So it's, like, it's very much giving, like, that vibe that, like, maybe in a world where, you know, Sam doesn't show back up, I could mm-hmm. see... Maybe I can a little see bit us of, having a totally, uh, um, you know, f- f- uh, a little discovery, ceremony, a, little a discovery zone, cer- and I'm not talking about the one from my childhood. <laughs> I'm talking about a commitment ceremony in someone's backyard in upstate New York with, you know, with come ex- to my window playing as <laughs> with um, Allison Melissa Etheridge um, officiating and um, Katie and, Lang uh, singing singing them down the aisle. You JJL know. and like this like linen suit. Yes, um, which is beige colored. Yeah, oh, everything. Duh. Beige. You don't even have to everything say it. Everything beige. Everything beige. <laughs> Bridget has and a flower th- in her hair. Of course. Or a flower crown, probably like a crown. A right? flower crown, yeah. And the vows are forty-five minutes long. Of course. And they're written from, uh, or, or they're they're read from personal journals. Um, Absolutely. And there's like flower like dried flowers used as like decor. Yes. Um, it's very that moment. Uh and the menu is vegan. Of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. Of course. No meat here <laughs> in any sense. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, we're living for the That's full the future that Hetty is dreaming of and we can see it. It's written all over her face. Um there's also like this there's this moment where they're going out there at this point she's moved in Hetty and Allie are sort of like you know they're they're hanging out they're going out to do things together and Hetty says to Allie where'd you learn to dress so New York and Allie's in this <laughs> this look that was by the way it's back again but it came back in the aughts hardcore all <laughs> you all you gals you started with the with the blazers and the big thick belt <laughs> over the top of the blazer and you never look back <laughs> Um, but this is the look that Allie's rocking with the shoulder pads, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, and Hetty looks at her and she says, where'd you learn to, where'd you learn how to dress so New York? And then, and then Allie shadily says to her, I think you look very comfortable. 
<laughs> I know. It's the shadiest thing. And it's like it's like that's not what we were talking about. We were talking about looking New York and like dressing nicely. And you just turned to me and said, "You look so comfortable." That is something Brandon would say to me if he came to my apartment and I was still in my pajamas. He'd be like, "Oh, it looks like someone's pretty comfortable." Or I'd be like, "You look, before. you look well rested." Like something like that. Um, but it's very much given that. Um, <laughs> so rude. And then we have like, we have like a little, a light little gift exchange at one point. Allie gives her like something in a box. I don't remember. We never saw what it was. She gives her a little gift. And then, yeah, and then Hetty right. gives her these earrings and she puts the earrings on Allie. And when Allie puts them on, Hetty's standing behind her literally like hot breath. Just like <laughs> glistening all over the back of Allie's neck. And this is one of the first signs that we see of these two women being comfortable with touch and sensation and uh, exploring each other's bodies. And there's nothing wrong with that. I will say, there's so much unnecessary movie- nudity in this movie. <laughs> like... It's a lot of nakedness. Uh, there's we get so some much leather nutsack at one point as well. <laughs> oh, we do. Okay, well, we'll talk about that in one second. But I do want to say about like the nude, the female nudity. It's it's yeah. like it's giving like what straight men think about who've never like who have no female friends who think like what happens when two women live together. It's like oh, you guys must just be like <laughs> taking off your shirt and walking with your tits out all the time. And it's like. No, we, like, absolutely, like, I don't know, treat the house in a conventional way and, like, you know, um, adhere to, like, societal norms when it comes to, like, walking around our house naked. And, like, there's several times when, like, they walk in on each other, like, showering in the nude, and I'm just, like... That is a violation of, like, your privacy. If I had a roommate, and I've had a lot of roommates, and if any of them walked in on me while I was showering with a, like, either clear shower curtain or no shower curtain, they have, like, some weird shower that, like, you can see into and, like, tried to have a conversation with me, I'd be like, um, can this wait? Like, I'm kind of trying to just, like, get clean in peace and, like... I, I don't I don't understand what's happening. It's a lot of like nudity and it also gives me the vibe of like a director and a cinematographer who are really they're trying to create this like almost art house feel. I think totally. they're trying to create this vibe, like this European vibe, because a lot of it happens in that really dark lighting that Jane mentioned earlier, where it's like this where like there's just a little bit of light coming through the coming through the window, but it's, and it's dark. It's all blue toned. It's all blue toned. It's just enough light to like kiss the skin for you to get a peek at like Bridget Fonda's nipples. Like it's <laughs> It's very that. So they're like, yeah, you, you can see your ass, but only for a second. And it's in this really artful light that it's happening. It's none of that glarish overhead lighting. It's it's coming in through the window and it's the moon greeting her body. Don't be a pervert. <laughs> um, it's very that. Uh, and mm-hmm. also, like, we, we sort of see this this change in our lighthearted Hetty. And all of a sudden, she's getting really like, she's giving certain things I identify with, but then certain things obviously I don't. I'd love there's, to know what you identify with. There are those moments where, you know, like, I feel like her, she's, an, she's an outsider. She feels mm-hmm. like she's alone in the world. She, she, she's lamenting her plight. She's like, oh, my God. There's a moment in the mirror where she's like, she's where Bridget Fonda's character is standing in the mirror. And she walks up to her and she puts her hands on her shoulder. And she says, look at you. Look at you. 
You've, mm. you've gotten everything. You get the guy, all of that. Look at me. And she's like, I don't, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you feel yeah, like, but I mean, I've never said I, it. I, but. I understand. I totally understand that. I think as an, as like an older person, I'm like, well, you know, it's not her fault. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. I'm not yeah. saying she's, I'm not absolving her. I'm just saying I, I get right. like some of those feelings of like being an outsider and being lost and feeling like you've found like your person or your, you know, you're, the, the next chapter of your life is sort of unraveling in this way that you're really happy about and then have it pulled out from under you. Mm-hmm. Now, where we go from here, obviously not, <laughs> not the case, but I just get those moments, but it's great that they make her human because then when she goes into the caricature that she becomes, it's like, all right, let's, uh, let, let's distance ourselves. Well, um, I think the real turning point for me was when Hetty killed the fucking puppy, which yeah, like, buddy, you, buddy, you, the, the buddy, the, the sweet golden retriever puppy, or I think it was a yellow lab puppy. Yeah, the yellow lab puppy that they have. That so has... cute, which I'm sure that dog is dead in real life, which breaks my heart. I always, always, also I wrote in my notes, do you ever think about how like those movies from like the 19, like 40s or 50s or 60s when they had like dead animals in them? I feel like those people just like kill those animals just to get the show. No nope. way. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just Actually, feel like if, if you Otto think Priminger about like, like in the in the movie. 30s 40s 50s like there were no animal rights really no that's so what i'm saying i feel like if auto yeah. was like there was a dog and then they need a dead dog for the next scene and he's like do we get all the shot to him running around that we need <laughs> all get right Lucy so in here with the big shotgun <laughs> do what you gotta do i just gotta get well, the shot in by time Joan oh my Crawford's god hopped up on uppers but it's only gonna last for another 30 minutes or so we gotta get this movie made gosh darn it um, I haven't done the research on that, and I don't want to. I hope that that's not true, but I wouldn't be totally surprised. It was, if it I'm was. just saying it was probably a little bit loosey goosey. There wasn't really a person on set that's gonna be like, "What? What about the rights of that gorilla?" Um, you know, they'd probably be like, "Oh, sh- shut up! Somebody get get Myrna out of here. She's asking too many questions." Let's kill it and then have it for dinner after we're done shooting. Exactly. Consider yourself blackballed. <laughs> and then she's removed from the set. Uh, but yeah, there's very that. Also, okay, we get a really great moment. So Allison and Sam move in, are basically back together. They are in the they're, they're in um, Allison's bedroom. They they have their sweet sweet Caucasian love making session, and it, then very artfully done again in the blue light. So artistic. And then we get Allie. Allie hears like a moaning. And she opens up the door to the bedroom and she does a little peek. The way this apartment is set up, by the way, it's a gorgeous apartment. The center of the apartment, like the foyer, when you walk in, it's like a big, it's like a big circle. And off of this circle, the two bedrooms are literally um, on opposite sides of the circle. And then there's a kitchen off and then there's a living room and a dining room off. So like, but they all share this common circle right in the middle. It's really lovely. Um, But... She wakes up, she hears a noise, Allison pops her head out of the bedroom, and she sort of creeps over to Hetty's room. Hetty's door, I think a jar is an understatement. The door is all but open all the way. And Hetty is in her bed. She is, she's on her stomach, um, and she's exploring Hetty. Hetty's exploring Hetty. Mm-hmm. And um, pleasure's on the table. And uh, She is, she's, the door is... I mean, swung open, quite honestly. It's, it's, yeah. Peekaboo. <laughs> she, she's on top of those blankets. She doesn't care who... Or I think, like, she has the blanket pulled down to her waist, and she is yeah. topless. And she is spending some time with herself, loudly, so that everyone else in the apartment can hear. And 
writhing. I mean, she's almost lifting off the bed like it's an exorcism. You yeah, know it's I mean? really it's really happening. It um, is enough, as Mel Gibson would say. Um, and we know you're a big Gibson <laughs> and, head. And Jennifer Lopez. I am not a big Gibson um, head. So yeah, so that happens. And then one of the next really wonderful moments in the movie is they're going, they, the two of them, they seem to be trying to mend the bridge. There's a little bit of tension now. We've got Sam back in the scenario. And I think that the two of them are trying to figure this out. And they decide to go to a salon to get their hair done. And uh, Jennifer Jason oh Lee's character God. up to this point has shoulder length, like brown hair. Um, she's a brunette. And Allie, as we mentioned earlier, has this sort of crimson mushroom bowl bob sitch. It's and a strawberry blonde color. It's a strawberry blonde color. Yeah. And as, and you know, I Bridget's character, Allison, she's just getting a quick touch up. She's happy with her mushroom bob and she's still living the <laughs> fantasy. And <laughs> she turns around and she sees that her roomie, Hetty, has is descending the, the stairs. Is descending the staircase of Vidal Sassoon, and she has <laughs> the exact same strawberry blonde mushroom bob fantasy happening. So now, and this is something that Brandon and I actually talked about in person when we were there because it was such a wild moment. Like the audacity. <laughs> like there's no way to play it off. There's no way to be like, oh, I like use you as a reference or like whatever. It's like I am getting, I got the exact same look. And it's a distinct look. It is not, you know, it's not that she got the same haircut with her brown hair. It's she went full on, as the phrase um, stands, single white female on her ass. <laughs> she's she's literally, you know, and but it's also like... One of the things I think is really funny about this also is that it's like, it's it's a confirmation that like, you aren't as special as you thought you were. Yeah. Because like, and I think that's a part of it too, because it's like, yeah. anybody, like, I got the look, girl, and it took an hour, and you're not as unique as you'd probably coined yourself or thought that you were. Because it wasn't, it took nothing for me to get it too. Sorry about it. Because here we are, and anybody can be you, Allie. You know? And if you've been like, and if you've ever been like, a 13 year old who like, you know, one of your friends gets something and then you get it and you're like hoping they don't notice. Like you want the compliments, but you don't want, the, you don't want to deal with the indictment. So it's like you go to school with like the same, you know, pair of like LA gears that light up in the back in the same color. And it's like, <laughs> I want, I want people to see, but I don't want anybody to clock me and be like, Oh my God, he's got the same shoes. <laughs> For totally uh, well, I mean, copying someone in middle school was like uh, the kiss of death. It was the kiss of death. I I, I do want to also point out the fact that in this movie, in this movie, there's a moment where she gets the haircut and then she's like rubbing in her face. They get back to the apartment and she's in the bathroom, running her fingers through her hair. And she goes, I love myself like this. Yeah. And Allison's like got steam coming out of her ears in the other room. Um, <laughs> and then Allison follows her, you know, she's like, she, 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 she goes into her closet. She's looking for an outfit. She can't find it. Early in the movie, she gave her permission to borrow her clothes. We see her go into Hetty's closet. Hetty's gone at this point. And she's looking for her blazer. And she goes in the closet. She grabs it. She goes back into her room. And she looks in her closet. And she realizes that it's not a borrowed. It's not her blazer borrowed. And it's not the blouse that's borrowed. These are items that, that Hetty has gone out and purchased that are the exact same as her. So she sees mm -hmm. how Hetty is literally taking over her persona. She's taking over her wardrobe. She's 
taking over her personality. She's and single white femaleing her. She's single white femaleing her. And she follows her to this sex club. Once again, we're dealing with the depravity of like the queerness. We're at this sex club where people are getting pleasure and like everybody's wearing <laughs> black and leather and pleather and, and it's like, the depths of hell as far as they're concerned in this film. And people are getting whipped and chains and there's cages and stuff. And it's always I love nineties movies. It's like that's always like the most dark sided thing. It's the furthest you can of. descend is a yeah. is a darkly lit sex club where people are receiving pleasure. Um, that mm-hmm. is not like governed by, I, I guess, like by heterosexuality. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and like it's always and like just when by you know like somebody's vanilla, yeah, vanilla heterosexual standards where it's like if you are into anything other than like straight missionary, M- missionary with your wife while you secretly fuck your secretary, <laughs> right? Um, exactly. Then, then like you're, you're a, a monster. fucking monster. You're disgusting. And so, very much that. But also, we, we she clocks she clocks Hetty in the club, and Hetty's talking to this guy, and he goes, "Hey, Allie, come here." And we realize that, that she's literally taking on her persona. Yeah, she's just so, having everyone call her Allie, and this is the full descent. And we get um once once Allie sees that, then she's like, "I'm gonna head home and snoop around because shit is not right." And this is and when so she starts she, to find it out. So she starts to look in Hetty's room and finds... This is like a classic 90s movie trope as well, where everything that is incriminated is hidden in a shoebox in the closet. And all you've got to do is open that shoebox. You're going to find newspaper clippings. You're going to find keepsakes. And it is going to be spelled out from you from A to B. And we find out her name is really Ellen Besh. She is... um, a twin her twin died um when they were nine years old i think um i think you see letters from her parents or whatever basically just exposing her for just not being who she says she is and this is sort of the descent into like the total madness that ensues um yeah no you're very right we also get like a lot of stuff happens really quickly from this point on so we so she overhears conversations happening at this point between graham the gay neighbor upstairs and um, Allison, when Hetty gets home, she hears him through that grate. Once Allison finds out information about who Hetty actually is, she runs upstairs she, to her gay neighbor, like you do, and mm-hmm. she tells him what's going on. And that grate that we can hear through, that device that was set up earlier in the movie, we see that the thing about this that's wild to me is it's like it's one thing if you're in your bedroom and you overhear it, but like for Hetty to discover this, it's like. You just were like in the apartment and you heard this loud ass conversation happening and you just walked into the room and grabbed your popcorn and listened. It's like you don't even, you don't have to make an effort. No, it's just it's like so loud. And it's something that I feel like would might be be known throughout the building as Absolutely. like everybody is experiencing this. Like why can't um, you know, Hetty and Allie hear anybody from their apartment. Why is it just Graham's apartment? Why is it apartment? just Graham's apartment? Yeah. Graham's got this whole system he's, he's set the, up. Yeah, the nosy fucking gay. When the landlord <laughs> took him, he was probably like, well, you're a broken homosexual, so you'll enjoy the fact that you can hear everything <laughs> that everybody's talking about from this apartment. You as love said, drama, don't you, boys? And as I heard, as I said it out loud, I thought about how much I'd appreciate a landlord who said that to me. <laughs> Um, One of my notes is like, if this was my scenario, I wouldn't even complain. I would literally set up like a comfy spot, like a little, a a, a reading nook, but no readings being done. Nair a book read. (laughs) Nair a book be cracked. I'm sitting with a 
a pile of popcorn, a delicious cocktail, and I am listening because that's who I am. Like the landlord shows you two apartments and then like they show you this one and it's like the other one's a little bit nicer, better finishes. And they show you this other one and they're like, they're the same price. And like, you know what? I, there's a better one. I'll show you that one. This one also you have to deal with the fact that you it, there are literally the because of the vents in every room you can hear literally every conversation that any of your neighbors are having at any given moment perfectly in Dolby surround sound. So you I'm probably like, don't want to deal with that. So I'm gonna take you to the other apartment. It's bigger and nicer than this one with a better view, and it's got an extra bedroom and it's the exact same price. So I'll take you to that one. You're like, no, 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 no. Hold up again. Can we go back really quick to that pesky issue of like everybody's business being fodder for because, me and my friends? Because Brandon and I suffer from the exact same thing, which is we absolutely love to have all the fucking tea and love to hear about all the drama. We do not want to be involved in it in any way, but we want to know every detail. And then we want to talk to each other about it and of course. and share our opinions <laughs> and uh, and move forward. And move forward completely unscathed and unscathed and uninvolved. We do not want to. I must. I must emphasize that we don't want to be a part of it. No, 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 um, no, no, no. I don't want to be a part of it. No, no, no. I, no. I but I do want to know every single damn detail you can come up with. Very, we're we're very similar that way. So we've got all this going on, and then this is when Hetty makes uh, some tough calls. Um, she decides, you know what? She's had enough of this Sam sitch, and she's got to, you know, deal with this. So her her whole her move. Is to go over to Sam's apartment. Sam is in bed in his apartment. He's Hetty, not in an apartment. He's in a hotel. He's in a hotel. Sam's in a hotel. They're still he trying to figure out what they're... He just got back into town. Back into town. They're still trying to figure out what their moving range is going to be. He calls to let her know that he's back in town. He calls He calls Allie to let her know. Hetty answers the phone and pretends to be Allie at the apartment. Does she pretend to be Allie? Yes. Or does she say... Okay, I can't... I was trying to remember that. She pretends to be her. And then she goes to the apartment. Now, keep in mind, she's still rock, rock, rocking that that that, that red that red chili she's bowl. She's got the look. She's got the look. She goes to the she goes to the hotel. She lets herself in, and she proceeds to fillet him. <laughs> and also, when we were watching this scene, I said to Jane as it was happening because the way that the, they were shooting the camera angles, you couldn't discern who which one it was because now they have the same haircut. Oh, what a great cinematic trick! I said <laughs> to Jane, I was like, "That is Bridget Fonda, though. That is not Jennifer Jason Lee." I could tell by just like the part, like the temple. I could tell that it was actually Bridget Fonda. And then I look, and then guess what I found when I did my little gander? It turns Ooh. out that it was Bridget Fonda. Apparently, Jennifer Jason Lee was still getting like her makeup done, and they were like, "Time is money." Bridget looks like you're gonna have to strap in and take one for the team. Um, so the beginning part wow. of the scene is Bridget, and then at some point in there, it's which is perfect actually. And if I was shooting this scene, I would actually have done the same things. I think it's super clever. It's just a yeah, way that of is making clever. sure that, and great that you clocked that. I didn't. I wouldn't have clocked it. You know, it's just the little things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole thing happens. Sam gets a full blowjob. At a certain point, he realizes it's her, but he's a man, and those pesky penises. He can't control his orgasm, so he's still he can't, climaxes. He can't not finish. It's actually it's bad for your health if you start to. He would have died. His heart would have died. Blow, he would have died, and it. You know, 
he does later in the scene, but um, that's not at his own hand. So <laughs> he, at this point, she confronts him, and then she says to him so smugly, "She's like, I knew, I knew you couldn't be trusted." And it's like after you tricked me into getting a blowjob from you, you got me, got me, gal. <laughs> um, and then he, he's like, "I'm gonna tell." He's like, "I'm gonna tell Allie everything." I can't believe you tricked me into this. And then she takes one of her six-inch stilettos. <laughs> <laughs> and she throws one at him and he dodges and then he turns around and he does he makes a move towards her um to restrain her or i don't know but she takes it as a threat and she takes her other stiletto and she slams it into his eye socket and he dies instantly like there's no scream there's no moment of him being like oh my god that stiletto is a it's a widowmaker yeah, it's a widowmaker. It's a widowmaker, and time of death, whatever time it was that that stiletto, that that stiletto penetrated that eye, hit that peeper. Um, I will say one of my favorite lines in this, in this scene in this movie is like she sneaks into bed pretending to be Allie, sexually assaults Sam um, by giving him a blowjob, impersonating someone else. And then she, like, raises her head, and she goes, hey, sleepy guy. (laughs) And I was like, what a wild way to act after you just did that. He's aware of what just happened. At this point, he's recoiling, and she's like, hey, bub. Hey, puppy, did you, did you sleep okay? Let's cuddle. It's wake like, up, wake honey, up, you've performed an assault. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is without it's consent just, and it is assault. Um, yeah. But yeah, so she, she ends him and then she takes out, you know, the gay neighbor upstairs. She bludgeons him mm-hmm. and then it's Allie left to really fight her own battles for the first time in this movie. Um mm-hmm. And so it's the two of them, like, it is the tussle that won't end. It, it is... keeps going. You <laughs> it think it's going to so stop. Long. Finally, like, the gay neighbor wakes up from, like, um, she had, like, bludgeoned him. And then he, like, wakes up 24 hours later. And then you think, oh, he's going to be the one to save the day. And he, like, attempts, I think, to end things. But they leave the apartment and um, they end up escaping and going to the basement and fighting some more. It's, it is a good, like... Um, lady on lady fight scene. It's fun, but it's long. But so, yeah, so Allison is victorious, but she's, mm-hmm. you know, sadder but wiser. She's lost her, one of her biggest Changed. clients, and Stephen Tobolsky, he's killed by Allie, uh, mm-hmm. by Hetty, sorry, and her husband, her Which fiance is okay, is because we forgot to he's mention awful. that he was awful and definitely did um, sexually, try to sexually assault um, multiple Allie women. She, yeah, multiple women. Multiple um, women. So, you know, all's well that ends well. Um, but Allie's on her own and she is, um, she's ready to take on the city and that's the end of single white female. I think she'll be doing a few more background checks before, um, signing up for another roommate. Let's hope mama. Um, okay guys. So you've heard about single white female and now we're going to take a little gander over to 2022's single black female. Uh, are you ready, Janie? I I was born ready. <laughs> let's let's strap in. Monica Harris has just gone through one of the biggest losses of her life. Her father has unexpectedly passed away and she is reeling from the loss. To make matters worse, she is competing with a co-worker for the head anchor position on a talk show that she's served as a correspondent on for the last several years. 
Monica also just found out that her boyfriend Andre cheated on her in the bathroom at Club Savoy the day after her father's funeral. So he's out too. Lots of change is coming Monica's way. Also, her assistant has just recently jumped ship. But not to worry, the station assigns her a new intern who just arrived in Houston from Virginia. Her name is Simone and she is spirited to say the least and eager to prove herself at the station and ingratiate herself to her new boss and mentor Monica. These two get on famously, despite the trepidation of Monica's best friend since childhood, Bibi. Bibi senses that something is off about Simone. She finds her a smidge too eager to please and is weirded out that she's always around. Maybe she's onto something. Before long, Simone has moved into Monica's duplex by renting a room with her elderly neighbor, Mrs. Fletcher. Funny timing, since right after Simone moves in, Mrs. Fletcher vanishes. Simone claims that she's taking a little vacay for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Nothing suspicious there. We could all use a little R&R &R from time to time, right? But we soon discover the trip that she's on, one doesn't return from. The tickets to her locale are non-refundable, and if you deign to speak with the manager of this establishment, prepare to find yourself sitting across from the devil himself. That's right, Mrs. Fletcher is dead. Also, my apologies for declaring that she went to hell. I barely know the woman. Simone has killed her, and she is prepared to destroy anyone who gets in the way of her being reunited with her sister. That's right. Monica isn't just her boss. Unbeknownst to Monica, she's also Simone's half-sister. It turns out that Monica's recently deceased father is also the father of Simone, and she's grown up yearning for the love and affection he gave Monica. Rumor has it she's been planning this trip to Texas and envisioning a life with her dad's family since she was a kid. Now that her mother is dead, the result of a, a mysterious fire, and she's been released from a psychiatric ward in Virginia, she's ready to forge some sisterly bonds with Monica, whether she likes it or not. Simone is prepared to do whatever it takes to get the job, love, and family she has always wanted. She has that go-getter attitude. If she keeps her eye on the ball, I'm sure she'll make a killing. <laughs> well, this is quite a different movie, although it shares a very similar title. Because, I mean, we should mention this is a Lifetime movie. So we are... Yeah, it, should, yeah, it could be mentioned. This, this one didn't make it... Um, to, didn't get the traction of a movie theater. There weren't it ticket buyers. It did not get a, a feature presentation in your local AMC. But it's on TV, and you should watch this movie this one was a lot of fun this one i actually liked this one I, I, well i don't know i don't know if i liked it more but i definitely laughed a lot harder at this movie this than one was I a did. this one was a good time it was yes. a, it was a real they were both roller coasters but they, <laughs> they were, were both roller coasters but i I experienced the thing where it was like I was waiting for single white female to end because I knew what was leading up to and what would happen. And I was like, single black female wrapped up at the perfect time for me. Like, I was like, I, I maybe could have had like a little bit more. You know what I mean? Oh, I feel you. It was a little bit shorter of a movie. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was a good time. But still, like, they didn't, I feel like a single white female spent so much time on certain things that, like, I didn't feel I needed. Whereas, like, single black female actually, like, didn't spend enough time on certain things. There was things. quite a few that we could have used a little bit of, uh, quite a few moments where we could have used a little bit of uh, opportunities to catch up and get a little context. Um, yeah, I think, like, one of the first things 
Uh, well, one of the first, uh, one of the first things that Brandon and I talked about with this movie is the fact that so Raven Goodwin is playing Monica, and Amber Riley is playing Simone, and they are sisters. We find that later. That's the big twist, as you mentioned. But I thought that be- Monica is supposed to be the older sister, and um. Simone is the younger sister. They don't really go over like I think they mention that they're pretty close in age. They but... mention at the end of at the end of the movie during one of the big finale scenes after after it's revealed, she Simone mentions that she had that Raven had just that that Monica, Raven Goodwin's character had just been born when her mother became pregnant with her. So they're like a year year apart, yeah, 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 yeah. But in real life Amber Riley is seven years older, right? And you would have no clue. They look like and they're the exact same age. And you would have no clue. They look like the exact same age. In fact, I definitely thought that Amber Riley was a little bit younger. And I think that was intentional, just like the way that they styled Simone and the way that they styled Monica. Monica looks, she just looks like she's a, prof- a professional woman, gives her more maturity or whatever. So yes. she looks older. But I was blown away. Way that Raven Simone is 36 years old, and I well, thought Raven she was Simone like... Well, Raven Simone has nothing to do with this project. I'm sorry, Raven Simone. But you're Raven, obsessed with her. We love Raven, her, too. We do love... She's she's family in more ways than one. Um, Raven Simone has a... Why do I keep saying Raven Simone? It's Raven Goodwin. Although, funnily enough, Raven Simone is 36 years old. Just so is you she? Wrong. So yeah. I'm telling the truth everywhere. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not even talking about Raven Goodwin. I'm talking. This is the thing. They look so much alike. They look too. so much Raven alike. Goodwin and this and isn't Amber Riley, when Jane looks... is normally racist and just looks at two black people and says that. In this case, these two women actually do, which is a part of when I was reading up on this. That's a part of why they they've been wanting to do something together forever. And a part of it is because people have always confused the two of them and thought that one was and the other. They were sisters. And they and, and so this is a perfect, I think, vehicle for that. Absolutely. It's very, in my mind, Javier Bardem, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah, very uh, They look so much alike to me. And um, Raven Goodwin and Amber Riley look so much alike to me. But I could not believe Amber Riley Riley was 36 years old. I mean, she was in Glee, so I assumed that she was much younger than me. Well, it also is, it's also interesting because it's, I mean, I think watching it a second time, it was interesting to me because I was like, I get like Amber Riley is doing a great job as an actress also because of course in the beginning of this, she's giving like very much that young wide eyed energy. And uh-huh. I actually think there were parts when I watched this movie the first time where I thought like, wow, like Monica's character, she's this very like, she's very guarded. Like, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking about her. It's a character choice that I'm referring to. And there were times in the movie where I felt like she was kind of impenetrable in a way. It was like she was a very hard person to get to. And I think that that was probably a big part of the device. Like, we're going to have this sort of, like, buoyancy that we get from Amber Riley, this lightheartedness, this naivete. And to counter that, we're going to need you to sort of be a little bit more grounded and earthy and, like, uh, you know, a pragmatist. And, like, you are, like, a type A. Like, so I think that in, in sort of, like, working on that, which I'm sure the director did knowing that they also were dealing with the age disparity and everything, I think that it helped to sort of like sell that story. I think that that eagerness that Amber Riley's character had helped sell. And also Amber Riley just could absolutely have been, if I looked up that she was 28, I would have been like, okay, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, just like physically, but also I think the choices that they made as actors really, really help them settle into this role and really help sell the story that, you know, Monica is this mentor to Simone, although it's, you find out later, it's like put on by Simone because Simone is a very dark character um, and, you know, has a lot going on. But I, uh, what I'm trying to say is like, hats off to them in that moment and also I have always because Amber Riley played a high school student when she was my age and I always thought she was so much younger than me just because she looks so good it blew my mind that she was close to my age no it no I agree with you it, it was really surprising to see yeah. when when the movie starts I mean one of the things that's really interesting and different about this movie I think there's a lot of things that are different about this movie I think they focus a lot more on the relationship between our main character, our, our, our Allison in this film, Monica. They focus a mm-hmm. lot more on like her career, and they focus a yes. lot more on her friendship with her best friend Bibi, who is played by mm-hmm. R&B superstar Kay Michelle, who does a really wonderful job as well in this movie. Yeah, um, she was really good. She really in this held movie, her own. Surprisingly, she does. She I does, mean, yeah. I've never seen her as an as an actor, so this was Me you know. I, I've heard her I've, music. I wasn't too familiar with Kay Michelle outside of like performances so this was so this was my first time seeing her in the film and i didn't really know what to expect i know that she was on uh love and hip-hop one of the shows that's the that's the only thing i've seen her in and that's the only thing that i really and that's not acting well i mean arguably Uh, yeah yeah it's something but (laughs) but seeing her on this was really interesting to see her in a scripted role on like in like a movie and Mm -hmm. uh yeah she did a really great job but that was sort of like a central relationship that really grounded this movie and obviously Allison didn't have like a bestie like that and her work was a part of it but a lot of the action there's like dates and things that happen with co-workers in the workplace and things like that there was a lot more time just spent on exploring the workplace in this film um and then we have a f- complete flash forward to two weeks later and we discover that at this point Monica's broken up with him she's broken up with him because she received an anonymous text message with a, with a photo of him having sex with another girl in the bathroom at Club Savoy uh, mm-hmm. a club in Houston in this fictionalized Houston I guess um, and so we get sort of the setup uh, and like a good friend like any friend would BB asks her if she has any pictures of it and she says that's inappropriate and BB accepts it but we all we've all been the BB and we all know that we wanted a little bit of a little bit of extra Evie just to see the evidence of um, course if look if you came up to me and you were like, I have visual evidence of my husband cheating on me, I would want to see that evidence. Of course you would. Of course. You'd care more Wouldn't about you that. You want to see my... that? I don't know. It depends. I mean if I, I feel like if you needed it for corroboration purposes, like if you're like, can you look at I this would and tell need me? to see I mean because it's a date. Like I would need to see it to believe it, I think. I think that's where I'm coming from. With Andre I'd be like, yeah that makes sense. But because of, you know Dave, just send her the pictures, uh, please. Stop asking about it. Um, But like, we move, we move forward. We find out that we find out at this point in the movie that she has a coworker, um, a white woman by the name of Elodie, um, and it's a name that is distracting and unnecessary. Brandon and I spent a lot of time on this name, Elodie. It's spelled E L O D I E, and it just sounds like Melody without without an M. And it was a distracting name choice. Not to mention, poor Elodie. Because I will say, 
Raven Goodwin and Amber Riley look absolutely gorgeous throughout this movie. Their hair and True makeup story. is beautiful. They have a lot of great outfits. They have a lot of great looks. Elodie was left out in the dark. She They took a trip hair. to Cato. <laughs> and they What's grabbed Cato? that store that that it's like that clothing store for the gal on the go. I've never heard of that before. It's always like a store that I I don't know. I, I imagine like you know, when you just need a couple of, when you need a couple of like quote unquote statement pieces to jazz okay. up your wardrobe a little bit and you've got the black <laughs> blazer and you've got a uh, a couple of pencil skirts and it's just like a fun little blouse that you're not going to break the bank on. Uh, okay. It's very much that that vibe. Okay. Well, yeah. So they they Elodie did not get like the first round pick of like wardrobe and her hair was an absolute mess throughout this movie and her makeup was really bad too and i understand that she wasn't the main person in this movie but i it, i found it to be distracting um, it, it, um just because it, it was is. like just comparatively so bad it was like it would be one thing if like the rest of the cast also looked bad but elodie looked like her hair was done it was like these like it was supposed to be i think these like blonde beachy waves but they there was so much hairspray in it that her hair did not move so it looked like she was like trapped in a wind tunnel in many scenes it was very like it was giving a little bit of helmet tease um it was not good and um so that was so that was sort of like the moment and we developed and we find out quickly also that like there's a they have the um we basically find out that they are sort of like they are sort of the equivalent of like like anchors who are like vying for the the lead anchor position basically on the show. We find out that their Clark um, Clark Michelle, who plays the woman who is retiring or moving away mm -hmm. from the show, her spot's available. So we have what Elodie, is that character's name? Clark, Clark Michelle? Michelle's character. What's her? That's her name. Clark Michelle. Name? Oh, Clark Michelle is the character. Okay, okay. And so she's moving away from this position. And so Elodie and Monica are the two that are the obvious, like, runners up, runners up, are the obvious two that are in, um, that are in competition for the, the replacement role. And, but quickly we have moments where, like, Elodie reveals, she, she has moments with Monica where she's like, girl, whichever one of us gets it is the one who gets it. Like, I'm still going to support you from the wings no matter what. You're queen. And, like, our um, friendship is the most important thing ever. Our friendship's ever. the most important thing to me. It's literally our friendship, God, my marriage, uh, my boyfriend, uh, my <laughs> husband, um, and my stepson from my previous marriage. Like, and so she really is, like, letting her know. And then later on, like, cue the next scene where we see her backstabbing. We've got, like, we've got Monica, like, having hired, you know, well, they basically, she's a good choice to hire her. She finds out that her assistant's gone. She's been away grieving her father. She comes back to work. And also there's a moment where, there's a moment where she sort of is, you know, talking to Elodie's character. And Elodie's like, girl, it's whichever one of us gets it. Sisters support sisters. And then we have a shot of, like, her right after she's interviewed Simone. Simone's gotten the job. And Simone is walking out onto the elevator to leave. And she overhears Elodie on a cell phone call that you don't have at work. When you're talking about, like, how <laughs> you, like... So she's basically talking about how she's getting ready to backstab Monica to get this job. And it's like, you're just... You she don't know who's around. She literally says, 
no, I would never Tanya Harding her. But that job is mine or whatever. And it's like, what? How? Why do you think you're so safe to have this conversation here? It's just and like what? ears, just ears around everywhere. Yeah, this is your it's, workplace. But um, it's like very lifetime. Oh, where for it's sure. Like it's so, it's such a wild choice because the character is deemed an evil character, so they're also so fucking stupid. Oh, she also makes the comment too. She's like, "Yeah, she's finally back from from her break," and it's like from like burying her father. <laughs> like she's annoyed yeah. that like she's taken this time off to grieve the death of her of her parent. Yeah, like, so Ugh. it's like she go Elodie goes real fast from like BFF to super villain. Because like and then, in literal in the matter of seconds. And we <laughs> see that Simone is taking this information in. Obviously, Elodie doesn't know that this is Monica's new assistant. She's never met this woman before. And so she feels free to have this conversation in front of her for no reason. Even though she should be thinking at the very least, I wonder if that's a relative of Monica's, since she looks like her freaking twin. Um, but doesn't matter to Elodie. It doesn't matter. She's like not looking. Yeah, exactly. She's not. She's not paying attention to. And it's just a really. It's just really bold move. And then Simone gets his job. Okay. So then Simone goes back to like. Simone shows up. It's really weird the way that they like this housing situation is very odd to me. Like so. Of course. So, so Simone. So so Monica lives in this. It seems like a duplex of some sort. Like it seems like townhouses. Maybe like that's what it seems like. Townhouses. But Simone lives in one townhouse, and then she has a neighbor who we've met briefly in a scene earlier as Monica was going to work. Her name is Mrs. Fletcher. She's an older woman. She likes to drink. She seems to be a character that you probably are thinking she's going to provide us with like little like sage wisdom at, at a later point in the movie, some comic relief. Um, she's having, she's drinking. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. Monica's on her way to work on the morning talk show she works on, and she's like, "Oh my God, Miss Fletcher!" Like already, and Miss Fletcher makes some little snappy joke, and then Monica heads to work. Although I think maybe we. We should be calling a family member to, just to check on it, Miss Fletch. <laughs> I think um, an intervention is well, you know, it's kind of. I don't of know like if candy's Ms. available. <laughs> candy Finnegan from the hit show Intervention on Annie. Um, I think not that, that hit show. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say intervention? Just so not you know, no, they're show? winning. Look, they're winning. <laughs> don't worry about it. I just like that you were like so the kids know. So the kids know they've been it's renewed. doing well. <laughs> no, no sense. It's been on for like twenty seasons. <laughs> no, they are no. They've been they've been keeping the lights on over at Annie for years. Okay, absolutely because we as a society are fascinated with people who intervention are... and hoarders. Yeah, those two shows. Oh, well, we want to see know... people at their worst. If you are an avid listener of this podcast, you know Brandon and I are, um, you know, fans of watching both of those shows. Actually, I'm not a fan of Intervention at all, actually. Oh, that's right. You don't actually like... I, I really like... Well, I don't like... It's actually a really painful experience to watch Intervention. It makes me really sad. <laughs> and it probably makes but you I, turn the mirror inward a little bit and think about some of your, but some, your things. But sometimes I get on She's like a kick over it. Okay. where... I will sometimes I get on a kick where I will watch like three or four episodes in a row. You don't have to explain yourself. I don't know what it is about that show. It just doesn't really I'm do it to me. And yeah. I can only and I can only do hoarders. I preferably watch hoarders with Jane. I don't. It's fine yeah. on my own, but I end up yelling at the television and or end up texting her about what's going on. And it's a hoarders very is also show. it's a different it's a it's a different kind of upsetting. But we will watch it. 
We will watch it. I I, I, I think enjoyment is not the right no, word. No, that's I not think it. we are fascinated and yes. we get really riled up about choices that people make. And Brandon, Brandon and I like nothing more than to be in a position where we are questioning people's choices and advising them to do completely Jane, you're painting things. us in a horrible light. This is the second <laughs> time earlier. Tell me that's not true. In the same episode earlier, you said, we we love being in other people's business. We don't like to be a part of it. We love people at their lowest. Brandon! I know everything about us, though. I didn't say that we love people at their lowest. I'm saying we love to dole out advice. That is, we, we, we do a, like to dole out advice and we like to think about a world where things are done differently and where there's not right, a dead exactly. cat in a freezer. Right, exactly. When you're not living among feces, also, either sometimes your these own people or animal. are so smug too. They get, <laughs> Robin Zazio, Robin Zazio is a saint and she walks into these houses and she straight up. She looks, she, she has, a, like, nobody has a poker face. She should go to Vegas. Robin Zazio has one of the most iconic poker faces ever. She walks into these people's so homes. True. Her face is frozen. And she's just like, okay, yeah. And she watches, like. Looks like things she, got a little out of hand. And she like watches, the like, understatement a of dead, their fucking life. She, she watches a dead Doberman swing from a ceiling fan above her head. And she's just like, oh, better look out for Sparky. So anyway, so there's a pungent smell in here. I do. I am getting some of that. I'm getting some whiffs as she realizes that she's standing in in the real life uh, pet cemetery. Okay. Well, speaking of scents, so we find out that in order for Monica to get, or sorry, um, uh, Simone to move in next to Monica and single black female her, um, she has to kill mrs fletcher and she lives among that dead body through the entirety of this however long this yeah thing she knows so ever that long this this goes on she's living in that house we see her knock on the door mrs fletcher opens it she says hi i heard you had a room for rent mrs fletcher says you are wrong sis and she says she hands she has a wad of money she offers mrs fletcher and then we go to commercial and you kind of assume oh mrs fletcher probably took that money then um, and then we find out later on as that Simone, she comes in the house and she's spraying like what looks like some Lysol. And she's like, you stink. Like air freshener, like some fucking Febreze if that's going to hide the smell of decomp. Like, which I've never smelled myself, but I've heard from all of the um, true crime shows that I watch that it is one of the most pungent and overwhelming and nauseating smells ever. And Simone is just like living with it. She's living, <laughs> She's living. Also, for an undetermined amount of time. But like, I would say this is at least a month, right? Also, yeah. Also, it's something that's funny about her killing her and still referring to her like respectfully as Mrs. Fletcher. Like, <laughs> I know. It's, it's funny that they never she <laughs> never got like, that first that name. That bitch I offed. <laughs> or yeah, or like, ugh, it's like this is your fault, Glennis. <laughs> Um, but she's still giving her that respect. So she you, it smells in here, Mrs. She Fletcher. had to move in. She had to move in next to She Monica. moved in the house. She and and did these what she are, had to do. Um, these are, that's why I said townhouses. They, they, have, they share a wall. Yeah. And <clears throat> she's moved in. They share a she's, wall and like a front porch. They share a front porch as well. These two doors yeah. are very close to each other. So it's also surprising to me that like Monica's character wouldn't smell the decomposing, well, soon to be two bodies. 
Yeah, I think neither of them have very good sniffers, apparently. There's also a moment later on in the movie where, which is like, and maybe jumping the ship the shark a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and share it because it's no, one of my favorite think, things in this whole I, movie. Let's just pluck, yeah, wherever Absolutely. you want to, yeah. But there, there's a moment in the movie where we find out about the fact, and we had already sort of hinted at it early in the movie. I figured out fairly quickly. I was like, oh my God, they're sisters. But I didn't say it out loud. But I said, I think I know what happens. And Jane said, don't say anything. And I said, are you serious? I said, I don't know for sure. It's just what I think is going to happen. And Jane was like, still, I don't want you to know. Write it down. And I was like, I okay. Said, write it, I said, write it down if it comes to pass. Let for me sure. And so then later on, Jane, an hour and a half later, was like, this I think was I know. This was 10 what... minutes. It was literally 10 minutes Jane later. goes, I think I know what's going to happen next. After she probably looked at my notes. And I, I was like, and I was like, opposite oh, ends of the couch. and then she said, are you going to be a small person like I was earlier and make me write it down? Or are you going to give me the space to say it out loud? I, I, and I said, wait, wait, wait. I, will, Jane, no, I will never no. be as small as you are. And I, I said, said what I actually loud, said was, do you want me to say it or do you want me to write it down? And then we can compare at the end. And you said, no, say it, bitch. Um, I don't remember calling her a bitch out loud. Um, but <laughs> I do, like if, several times throughout the day at kill. any point. <laughs> um, so then I shared my, what I, I, then Jane shared her idea after seeing mine and I said, welcome to the club. Um, <laughs> he said, thank you for joining me here. It's, yeah, it's been it. a while. <laughs> and it had. It's been a while since I hold my head up high. Like stain, Stained. Of course, I knew you know. You're such a stain head. I literally only know that one song, but I do remember sure, about the lead singer of Stained. He had such bad stage fright that he used to sing with his back to the audience, and I thought that was an interesting quirk. I don't know why I remember huh. that. It's like um, these weird things that you remember from random, yeah, just like for no reason. I don't know why I know that. But you're telling me that you're not a stain head. <laughs> I realized, like, the second I said it, I was like, he is going to jump all No, over I'm me. not. I'm just saying. You really, I'm just saying. You said it, but you're not a stain head. I, I couldn't name another song of theirs, if that's the... It, it, and if that's a require... I think being a, a, a stan or a stained head, I would have the ability to name another one of their songs. I can't do that at this juncture. Okay, sure. So this all happens. And then, um, okay, so Denise is the mother of Monica, okay, our, our, our heroine. And we have a moment where Denise is confronted by Simone. They, they meet at a restaurant. Simone thinks that this is going to be the moment that Denise offers her open arms. Obviously, Denise is not her mother. Denise is the mother of Monica. But she is aware that her husband, who is deceased, was the father of Simone. So she meets her for a lunch. Denise offers her $100,000. Also, at this point, Denise doesn't know that Simone has taken on this job as Monica's assistant. Denise doesn't know that Monica and Simone even met. And this is towards the end Mm -hmm. of the movie. Um, But Denise offers Monica um, $100,000. Basically, this is what I'm going to give you. Go away. And I said, and then like Simone, after Denise leaves the restaurant, and Denise also refers to her mother as a whore. 
um, and said, and then leaves the restaurant. And then Simone is in this like what we're supposed to believe is a fancy restaurant, and she just lets out this scream. Um, <laughs> it's so wild. It's, it's so wild. And also, all I could think about was how quickly I would have cashed that check for hundred. Absolutely, I would have walked immediately to Chase Bank and cashed that check, I and then tried done doing whatever. Phone. I don't ever, know if you can do a phone deposit with hundred k though. I think you probably need to go in for that. You probably need to go in a couture. I have never had the opportunity to try to deposit a hundred thousand dollar check but i'm i'm willing to i remember my mom get, offered to pay you a hundred thousand dollars to stay away from me because you were such a bad influence on me but you didn't <laughs> and, take it and no i did try to deposit it on my phone and guess what <laughs> it didn't go through and i'm still around wow to call my wow. mom poor trash on the podcast <laughs> checkmate checkmate jane um so <laughs> Anyway, oh so God. Simone, I would I have would put never. my whole plan for chaos on hold until I got the the green light from Chase that the check had cleared. There was no way absolutely funds gonna take it. <laughs> then I'm good. Then I'd be like, okay, now back at it. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> back to chaos. Uh, and now I got a little money to sort of fund this too you to know? play around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, so this happened. So then she later on, Simone she decides to confront towards the end of the movie. She decides to confront Denise. Uh, and so she goes back to Monica's mother's home. She decides she's going to hold her hostage as leverage with Monica. She shows up at her house. Denise has had a few, few to drink. She opens the door. She's like, what are you doing here, Simone? Simone's like, oh, I got something to show you. Simone opens up her backpack. And inside of her backpack is the decapitated head of Mrs. Fletcher from earlier in the movie. <laughs> It's the best part of this movie. It's my favorite she, part. She opens it up. She opens up her backpack and just shows it to her, like like you're waiting in line at a music festival and they're checking your bag for alcohol. Like that is how she does it, and it is so. And it is a severed head. As and it comes, and this comes out two more times in the movie. Simone Absolutely. flexes by showing this decapitated head to people. <laughs> just be like, run tell that. Run. You thought I wasn't about that, that. life. <laughs> I'm carrying this shit around in my backpack. And this is, by the way, a month old, at least. Absolutely. Let me show you my CV. Okay, you want to check out the, cre- the credentials? I got a resume for that ass right here. Fear and loathing, bitch. Get into it. So that happens. That's incredible. There's a lot of really incredible moments in this movie. Um, and so then later on in the movie, we have this moment where Simone, as Monica's assistant, is tasked with picking up her dry cleaning. And they live next door to each other. And she's her personal assistant. So she says, hi, could you pick up my dry cleaning, by the way, Simone? And could you leave it at my home? So Simone picks up her dry cleaning. She takes it to her house. She puts it in Monica's closet. And when she looks in the closet, there's that dress that she was forbidden from taking. And Simone gets a hankering and she's like you know what i'm gonna i'm Simone gonna put this bad to on. break a few rules she she loves she hates a rule well the the ultimate rule the rule of uh of all things uh no murder um she's broken <laughs> so simone throws the dress on and then we get this weird scene of simone just like twirling around in this like this she's dress in, that you she's wear in monica's to, like, room listening to music She's in Monica's room listening to music, literally just like twirling around in this dress in this really like odd way. And it's like the dress. She's dancing. She's dancing. She's yeah, she's she's dancing, but it's like it's odd. And (laughs) and we've also weird. It's not a it's a fine dress. It's like a dress that you wear to like your friend's wedding. It's like it is not a very special dress. And if that was the goal to make it this special moment, it's kind of funny given how many lovely clothes these two have worn in the movie up to this point that you're like, what? huh, this is the item? 
There's so many different like statement pieces. Like at one point, Simone and Monica go shopping, and Monica tries on this beautiful red gown. And a during that montage. I was like, oh, that is weird because, like, that is for, like, a gala. Like, is she shopping for something specific or whatever? But, like, I would understand if that was the dress. But this is, like, this is, like, one You wear, like, a cocktail party that, like, like isn't about you. One shade better than, like, a bridesmaid's dress. So it's like, why was this the choice? Also, if we wanted that angle, then then Monica could have had the gown and been like, oh, no, you can't. Like, that's a dress that my dad bought me for a debutante ball that I participated in or something years ago. It's really special to me. He, he, He actually, we danced together there, and it means a lot. And now that he'll never get to walk me down the aisle, that's, like, one of the last memories I have of my dad and me at, like, uh, like any number of things, and that would have been a more... That, to me, just hearing that, that is like a 1000% better rewrite than what they did. <laughs> and I want to be like, we should have been allowed in this writer's room to be like, Oh my hey. God, the things I would have wanted to do. I would have wanted to really oh. double down on the head. I would have tried to get a couple more shots that decapitated a head in the movie. <laughs> This movie would be wild left in our hands. They'd and like, I honestly think leave. we would have hired we... and fired in one day. <laughs> I think we would have made an iconic film. To be I honest think we would have made something special. <laughs> um, so, okay. So Simone tries this. So Simone's twirling around in this dress. While this is going on, Monica, who we know has broken up with a boyfriend recently, is, is now going out with a crew member. She's going out on a date with a guy who works on the crew of the show that she works on. They've had a light flirtation. He's on the production team. And yeah, his name is Eric, I think. Right? His name's Eric, and he invites her out. He's also, it's worth noting that he's also made some really sweet comments to Simone at this up to this point in the movie. Simone had kind of had designs on the two of them being together, and she's actually gone as far as to tell Monica, without telling her the name of the guy, that she's sort of seeing someone. Um, she's not. He's a guy who said, whoa, you look really pretty in a dress once at work. But in Simone's mind, this is the fantasy. So right. while all this is going on, though, and while Monica's out on this date with this guy that Simone really wanted to go on a date with, Simone Simone is snuck in her house, put on the dress. Simone's been in her home wearing this dress, swelling around in it for so long that Monica <laughs> arrives home with Eric. So they come in. Simone's upstairs in the dress that she's not supposed to have on. She doesn't know what to do, so she goes into the closet and hides. Um, so also Monica and Eric are like making out and making their way to the bedroom. We're clearly about to have sex. Mm-hmm. And Simone is like peering in through the closet as they're in the, the room. Things- the closet door could, uh, this is one of the moments where I was like, oh, this is the same vibe as single white female because the closet door couldn't have been more ajar. It was essentially gaping. <laughs> open the, the door you it's, be, it's begging to be peered in like like if you can't see simone standing in this closet it, then you need to have a talk well your peripheral talk. vision is trash You're, if you, you can't need to see ha- you need to have a, a an optometrist like take a look do an exam on you maybe like more than one doctor also the lighting is the lighting is <laughs> is glistening on Simone. Amber Riley is beautifully lit. She is in I the mean, closet. She looks like the, a goddess. The light is on. <laughs> she is standing there peering through, whole ass head basically peeking out of the closet. And She's practically standing outside of the closet. <laughs> and as this is happening, we have Monica and, and, and Eric in the bedroom going at it, hot and heavy clothes are coming off. Then 
we see that Simone <laughs> has started pleasuring herself in the closet. She's her lips are quivering and she is getting over to ecstasy. She's loudly masturbating. She's loudly in the room. masturbating and, and moaning as these two are having are picturing, sexual By the way, if you guys are picturing a large room, change picture again. Repicture again. <laughs> you we are in a regular sized bedroom. This We're is in a not ten by twelve a, yeah. bedroom. Okay. This is not a huge bedroom. This is, and you can hear all three of them moaning at the same time because it's a melange. Of, it's a melange of pleasure, is what it is. This is almost, in some ways, like if I didn't have the context, I'd be like, oh, okay, so this is like a cuckold situation or whatever, where someone, everyone, all agreed upon parties are aware that someone is watching. We're role, yeah, we're role playing. And, because Yeah, we're role playing in this scenario. And someone's going to be masturbating in the closet, and then two people are going to be having sex in the bed. And they're all going to be aware of each other's presence. And everybody all, knows what's going on because everybody's in earshot, everybody's within. And eyes that are all top, uh, at least to my knowledge, all functioning, um, you know, as as they were intended to. Everyone's peering at everybody. Um, it's very that. <laughs> um, and then we also, at the same time as all this is happening, we also have BB, K. Michelle's character, who is very, she's very suspicious of Simone and Simone yeah, coming into BB Monica's has life. PB has BB is sort of the the canary in the coal mine. Yes. She has been raising concerns about Simone since day one, quite rightly, and she is not being quiet about it. She is letting everybody with an earshot know that Simone has nefarious plans. And she's Something's right. amiss. And she is, she's aware of it, and she keeps, like, bringing it up, and she keeps pointing out the fact that she doesn't trust her, and she thinks that she has become too big a, a part of the life of um Too of Monica. And there's a moment in the movie also where the three of them they get into a little Simone and Monica and BB are all hanging out on like the upstairs deck of Monica's home. And then there's a a light little back and forth that starts between BB and Simone. And then Simone ends up leaving after Monica asks her to. And then BB ends up spending the night. And BB, K Michelle, she's sleeping on the couch in the living room. In, in by the way, I just want to say in in this in, is what I was going to bring up. No, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. Go. No, no. I'm just saying with the same point. Just yeah. a full <laughs> face of makeup. I mean, she is wearing possibly three sets of eyelashes. <laughs> and we're watching and, her pretend to sleep, and it is pretend everything. to sleep in literally full glam in a way that it's like you. I mean, don't get me wrong. She looks incredible. She looks incredible. Beautiful. She looks great. But, I mean, this... If you went to sleep with that on, you would wake up... I mean, your furniture would be ruined because you would have wiped all of your makeup all over the couch. But I guess you're at your friend's house, so it is what it is, right? Yeah, exactly. You deal with it. Um, we also, <laughs> shortly after this, we get our moment from BB where she, she, says to, she says to Monica, I don't trust that girl. I think you're living in a real single white female situation. Yeah. And I was like, that's right. You you better reference the source material, girl. Uh-huh. Um, and you do see that one of the things that the wardrobe does, which I actually noticed, where it's like, I don't know if you noticed this, but like they put Monica in or sorry, they put Simone in very similar outfits to um Monica. 
to Monica, but they change, like, if she's wearing, Mon- at one point Monica wears this really cute, like, pink blazer, and then two scenes later, Simone is wearing the exact same blazer, but it's in a different color, and it's she black. wears, like, the same outfits in just different color schemes, so it's like, she's slightly under the radar, which I thought was a really smart wardrobe choice, because it's not as wild as the full reveal from the first um, single white female movie where you get Jennifer Jason Lee walking out with the <laughs> exact same mushroom haircut and you can't deny it. It's like they do more subtle or um, this is one of the few things this movie does subtly <laughs> is the, the wardrobe takeover. It's really good. Yeah. And also, okay, so to go back to that bedroom scene for a second, one of the other incredible moments in this movie. Oh, yeah. They're in the bedroom, and <laughs> they have and they have sex. They, they begin having sex or whatever. We all know that, you know, Simone's in the closet taking care of Simone. But they have sex, and then we have... And then it's it's over, and then they're in bed together. And well, I'd love to say everybody finishes, but... <laughs> not this time. <laughs> but, I finished but last sub- for you. Simone and Eric finish. <laughs> Simone and Eric finish. Uh, Monica's in bed with Eric, and then Eric says, "I'm sorry, it all. Ha- I'm sorry, you know, it happened so fast." And you know, and Monica does the labor that every woman does, and she says, "Oh, you're fine. It's okay. Nothing to worry about, sweetie." And you know, it was our first time, and blah blah blah. She said it felt like all night. <laughs> it felt like all night. Yeah. So she like... she said that, and her fingers were crossed behind her back. But you know, she did what she had to do. So that fragile male ego. So she says that, and then we like. So that all happens. Obviously, Simone was in the closet. She observes everything. She's also pissed because now Eric has sort of like shown that he is in. He in fact is interested in Monica and not her. And then the next scene, they're at work. Mon- Simone goes up behind Eric as he's like doing his job and she like leans into him and she goes by the way I was talking to my girl Monica and she's none too pleased with what happened in the bedroom the other night and then she leans in his ear and she goes get your time up and then she walks away and get Which, your by time the way, up was such a why- like it's a phrase you know exactly what she means but i never yep. heard it before but it's one of those phrases that the moment you hear it it's like there's no other there's no more i guess subtle way to say what you're trying to say but it was like the way she said it get your time it's, up it's my favorite phrase from this movie and i will be saying that to people at any and all opportunity get your time up what a like it there's something about it that is like so direct and so full of shame (laughs) like there's like there's like nothing it's like it's it's so it's so direct without saying like without saying the actual thing and i just love it it's It's such a good phrase yeah it's a chef's chef's kiss phrase so boys get your time up (laughs) get your time up um and it also there's also the whole the whole storyline of her boyfriend. We find out that he's that she's broken up with him because he cheated on her. And so Andre, her boyfriend, he's trying to get her back. He he sets out to sort of do detective work to figure out what happened. He says to her, I was out with my friends. I don't remember drinking enough to get that drunk to cheat on you. I don't remember who I cheated on you with. I don't know about this picture that you got. I know nothing about any of it. I don't remember what happened that night. He goes back to the club. He finally, through his sleuthing, gets his hands on a copy of the video from that night. And he essentially shows up at Monica's home 
in an attempt to present her with the video evidence to show he isn't to blame, he was in fact drugged. Spoiler alert, we find out that it, Simone is the woman who drugged him on the video. So she shows up at the house. She's not there, but guess who's home? It's Simone. Simone comes out. Andre shows up at the house. Andre shows up at Monica's okay. home, attempting, yeah. not under, not realizing that Simone is the neighbor who lives next door, and he's trying to present her with this DVD to absolve himself of any sort of like wrongdoing. And Simone catches him as he's there and when he turns around to walk off the porch she grabs a fire extinguisher and she bludgeons him over the head in broad daylight then she brings his body in so now we've got two dead bodies in this apartment and later on when k michelle also is sort of- by just like like just for logistics here like he's not like uh, he's not a small dude. Like he's, he's around pretty... my. I would say he's around my size. He's like yeah. He's probably about six six foot six foot two, uh, a little bit over like I don't know one fifteen. So right around like... me. <laughs> no, he's about no. He's no. over. He's like over two hundred pounds. He's a big like man. And as we know, dead weight is the heaviest weight to yeah. carry. And she somehow and... like gets this body in and Amber Riley, who's like five four, somehow yeah. manages. Like, to, to, to get this massive man into this apartment without and, anybody seeing and a spoiler alert as we find out later on is after bb is in search for her friend monica who is being held captive by simone um when she shows up at the house that simone has been living in um mrs fletcher's home she ends up opening up the door obviously the smell of death overtakes her she keeps moving forward though which is where we do that's where we're different people um but she keeps moving forward she ends up in like a radiator boiler room which is you know where you want to put the dead bodies at so they oh get my really God. good and juicy juicy and stew. um and She's we open like, up the door what you want to do for decay is to get it warm get it you want to get it as get hot it as poppin'. possible yeah. you really want to get things boiling um she opens up the door not to, to the disrespect room. the dead sorry no, mrs fletcher not. <laughs> um, but in the room, we have a headless Mrs. Fletcher's body, and then we have the dead body of Andre. And so... It's, it's just, just so funny to me to imagine Mrs. Fletcher is headless because Simone is going around carrying that thing in a backpack, showing it. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like, it's you, show and she tell. She only decapitated her just so she could flex. Like, that's right? the only reason. <laughs> what is this? And oh it's funny God. to me that she also doesn't take um, Andre's head. Because she's no. like, she only wants to show Mrs. Fletcher's head. And that's like, <laughs> well, if you're really trying to flex, bring them both, if baby. If you're feeling bad, bad and bold, <laughs> stuff them both in a duffel and then just make everybody. We've all know the movie Everybody's in a duffel book. bag happen. So <laughs> use that as an inspiration. Two as in a duffel bag is better than one. And just be like, look at here. Because that'd be a real thrill serve. But so she kills them both. Then we get her, you know, eventually she she has Denise, Monica's mother, bound and gagged. She has Monica, Monica bound, and gagged. bound and gagged. And she is, you know, she gets to tell her monologue of what happened to her. And she gets to reveal the fact that she met up with her father, Monica's father as well, that she met up with him. And that when she met him, he was a kind and loving man, but he was not willing to share this part of his life with his wife or his daughter. He did not want her to meet them. This was the thing that Monica, that Simone had wanted her whole life. And he didn't and he didn't give the okay for it. And so when he went to the bathroom at their meeting, she poisoned him. And she killed him. And she's the reason he was dead. And she's the reason Monica doesn't have a father. And she And if you're keeping track 
that means Simone's There's body count is now at four. Four, because she killed her mom. She killed too, her own she? mother, her own, own father, father, Andre, and Mrs. Fletcher. So that always what we know of, you know? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And... Yeah, so that's where we are. And then Monica ends up... BB shows up, saves the day. She tussles with Simone. Kay Michelle saves this whole movie. Kay Michelle she, saves the whole movie. And I liked I liked that um, th- at the final end, um, Monica sta- ends up stabbing um, Simone to save her real sister, BB. Because BB oh. is her real sister. It just, like, in heart, you know, obviously. It's a nice related, no, it's a nice but, touch. Yeah, and, I was uh, just like, that's the one that she's going to prioritize, of course. And they, and also, I mean, also her, her biological sister also killed. He's out of her damn mind. And out of her damn mind. So I'm going to hard I guess that's like, why am I touched by that? <laughs> no, I mean, she did the thing that had to be done. Um, right, but I, and, but when that was happening, I was like, oh, that's her real sister. You know, absolutely. I'm surprised yeah. this lifetime. I'm surprised you just throw that line in and make sure you understood. Hit you over the head with it. Uh, <laughs> I know it is a bit heavy-handed. I will say, but we it is the movie ties up really quickly, and Instantly. we we find out that you know that Simone died. We find out that our girl got the job. Also, okay, really quickly, also, before before we tie this up. There's a moment earlier in the movie where we also... Elodie ends up getting roughed up by Simone in, like, a dark <laughs> parking lot. And then nobody knows who did it. But then they show up to work. And, like, the crew's there. And everybody's ready to work. And they're like, where's Elodie? And then somebody comes in. And they're like, Elodie's in the hospital. Like, she was attacked in the parking lot. And, like, Monica is, like arguably like too shaken by it as I said while watching the movie it was like there was a moment where she takes this inhale and then she can barely like walk and function and she goes to stand up in front of the crew and I was like oh right let's like half like half of this would be good half of this because Elodie was planning on like deceiving you and you knew that well also she wasn't dead she's not dead all they said was she was attacked and nobody asked follow-up questions like what do you mean by attacked they just I mean, they just take it and they move it. By who? Like, what's happening? You know. And Monica makes a call that she would not be allowed to make, which is that we are taking the rest of the day off. We need to use this time to reflect on everything that's happened. And we're not going to record the show today out of respect to Elodie. And it's like, you're on our talent. You don't get to make these kind of calls. And so this all happens. Everybody leaves. We accept her call. And then Simone approaches her and she says, hey, um, I think we should go shopping and 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 Monica says, "Oh, that's inappropriate. We shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, Elodie's in the hospital." And then someone's like, "Oh, I just thought it'd be like a nice like way to get our minds off of like this awful thing that's happened." And then mm-hmm. Monica says, "Convinced." And then they go shopping, and there's like <laughs> that's a shopping. That's when they have that shopping montage, and that's when they have the mo- the shopping montage with the dress that Jane mentioned earlier that she tries on, like the gala dress. It's like they go they go shopping, and apparently somehow like. I guess Monica's able to sort of compartmentalize a bit because it seems like she's having the time of her life as it's, um, it's Elodie such recovers. A, it's such an intense tone change from one scene oh, to the other. Oh, yeah, there's there's montage music and everything. These girls yeah. are living their best lives while Elodie fights for hers in the hospital, apparently. Um, and, and a moment ago, this was too inappropriate and you were so crestfallen talking to the whole crew and like being like, we need to take this moment to reflect. And she's like, girls trip to the mall. And, and now like it's like these two buying like cute fits for the weekend. 
Um, and that was funny. Okay, so jumping back to the end of the movie now, um, it all wraps up. Monica gets the job as host. We see that Elodie is alive and well. We see that BB is recovering at home. Uh, she just has a little scratch over her eye, but the rest of her face remains flawless because it's mm-hmm. K Michelle. And uh, all's well that ends well. Uh, mm-hmm. We, you know, we lost Simone, but we had to in order for these other characters to live and thrive. To thrive, because Simone was really the the thing that was holding everybody back. So, it it you know, in the similar way that we lost Hedra slash Ellen, we had to lose Simone. Simone. So. Uh, Jane, um, I guess these were, I, I had never seen either of these movies before. Mm-hmm. Um, Me neither. Uh, I know, I've mentioned before that my, my friend Jane's fellow Boston sister, Caitlin, um, is a big fan of Single White Female and the stiletto to the eye. Um, oh yeah, Sh- <laughs> shout, shout out, out to, to Caitlin. Caitlin. Um, She's the inspiration for this she, choice. She really led us down this path, um, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to her, so I hope she enjoyed it. Uh, but Jane, would you watch either of these movies again, do you think? Yeah, I'd watch both of these movies again. Me too. They're fun. They I, fun. I think I, like, probably in any context with anybody, I would throw both of these on. Yeah, these movies are wild ride in, like, the best yeah. possible way. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, do you have uh, a movie that you want me to watch for next week? I do. So strap in, put on your seatbelt. We are going to actually, I don't know why I make it sound like it's going to be a wild ride. This is one of my favorite movies from 1995 called Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh, and, okay. I think yeah. I've heard of this movie before. I've never seen I'm it. Sh- I'm sure you have. Um... And I'm really excited to have you dive in and, and take a look. So, okay. yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it, but I have heard of it. But I'm um, I'm excited. Good. Yeah, it's it's a... Well, we'll talk about it next week. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird movie that I watched a lot as a kid, but really loved it for some reason. But it's a very indie, like, kind of weird movie at the time. Um, so I'm excited to see you dive into it. All right. Well, thank you, Janie. I'm looking forward to it. This was a fun episode. Yeah. Thank you guys for sticking with us through our first doubleheader, Single White Female and Single Black Female. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a great time chatting. I hope you guys had a great time listening. And um, if you want to chat with us more, you can find us on our social media, uh, on Instagram and Facebook at Movies We Missed, and Twitter at MWMChat. And we thank you and we love you and we will see you next week for Welcome to the Dollhouse. Have a good one. Bye. They took a full fucking sapphic leap into each other's vaginas. Jane, don't be a pervert.